Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me once more, and as ever, is the statesman to my kingsman. It's John Burke here from BurkeReviews.com. How's it going, Matt? It's going very well. This is the first time in a week I've spoken. I've, I Like you uh, last weekend, I've been under the weather this week, so I'm actually more I'm happy just to be talking, let alone talking film, but... Uh, Glad to be here. How are you doing? I, I'm also better. Um, I was actually dreading going into the weekend after my uh, illness of last weekend. I was like afraid of Friday afternoon that it was going to just strike me again, like that I've lost the ability to have weekends off or something. And <laughs> fortunately, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I just went uh, thrift store shopping a few minutes ago and bought, um, I got, I think, 15 movies uh, for 20 bucks. Wow. Uh, and I got some really good uh, stuff, man. Like, I found some uh, nice pulls. And then I got a couple of uh, junky ones that I, I wouldn't have bought normally, but I they'd been in my um, awareness recently, like Transcendence, the Johnny Depp movie from a few years ago. Oh, we spoke about that recently, yeah. Exactly. That's why I – because I think – was it on the 2014 episode? It was or, on the movie Astrology, which by the time this episode drops will be out probably the next day. And so I was like, oh, well, it's a buck. Why not? You know? <laughs> Um, that's not bad at all so okay let's throw some out there so transcendence all right see if i've seen them or like them okay um i've got maria full of uh full of grace um which i heard it's an indie film that i heard really good things about um i think mike uh from my top five movies uh recommended it um marie antoinette yes I, i i enjoyed that film i have yet to see it but sophia coppola i just figured i need to add it to my list um the crying game uh, we spoke about that on another episode of Movie Astrology, 1993. Yep. I enjoyed this film. Uh, I haven't, I've haven't seen it for 18 years now, I remember, um, but I, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it. Uh, Fearless, the a Jeff Bridges film. I haven't seen that. I haven't either, and I am currently, uh, Corey and I are doing for Movie Club this month, uh, Jeff Bridges movies. And, nice. Uh, this one's not on our current viewing list, although it might end up there, but um, we just watched uh, um, Crazy Heart. The country yes. man, I hadn't seen that. And I was I have uh, seen that one. I like that a whole lot, dude. Like I was very into that one. Um, our episode for that will drop uh, just before this one drops. Um, I got uh, Paris J. Tam. I'm not sure how to say this. Tammy Tamai Tiami. I believe I that seen, definitely haven't seen that one. Then <laughs> I can't. I can't think what it is. I believe it is a uh, anthology series with a bunch of big directors. Um, that I've been meaning to get to, but I had never seen it where I could snag it. Um, hang on, Paris. Uh, how, how did I just say that? Paris, J. It's J E. J. Yeah, I'm so bad with. Uh, so, it is. Um, Julia Binoche, uh, Lenora Walton, Watling, Watling. Um, and so yeah, there's a series of directors listed. So there's Oliver Assayas, Frederick Auburton, mm-hmm. Emmanuel Benbithy. Um, the Cohen brothers, which is the ones that I've been most excited about, Wes Craven, Alfonso Cuarón, Gerard Depardieu. De, De um, I mean, this is the the names. Alexander Payne's on this list. Uh, I, I don't. Tom Tickwer, who just did something that was uh, we were talking about. Gus Van Sant. Um, oh well, yeah. Oh, he did I'll Run, Lola, Run. Is it uh, pa- Paris Jetem? Is that what that's it, dude? Paris, wow. I love you. That's it. I've just had a look at it. 
Look at those directors, man. Yeah, so I, I was excited to see that at a thrift store for a dollar. Um, like I'm like, you know, who are donating these like movies like this? Because this isn't like something that your normal Walmart would have carried and someone just had on their collection. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, this no. is a movie movie. Natalie Portman, Steve Buscemi, Juliette Binoche, Elijah Wood, Nick Nolte, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Willem Dafoe. Who else? Lots of names I can't pronounce. Bob Hoskins. Miranda Richardson, always glad to see Miranda Richardson yeah. pop up and stuff. I was wow. stoked to find that one. Um, I got my, I actually bought this one. My daughter recently saw Never Been Kissed and really loved it, so they had that for a buck, snagged that. Um, Notting Hill. Uh, Mike, uh, Notting Hill. Mike, was in, it was in his top five romantic comedies that we did it last week, or two episodes, or one episode ago, but two weeks ago. Um, so I snagged that because I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Been wanting that's to rewatch like, that's it. That's like the the rom com. Have you not yeah. seen it yet? Oh, I've seen it. It's just been a oh, long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the introduction of Hugh Grant to the masses. I love Hugh Grant so much. I am I'm a sucker for him. Uh, Paddington <laughs> Two, underrated film from last year. Um, Stripes, which is a Bill Murray movie. I only saw once when I was a kid, and I've been meaning to get I've back to. Um, Harold Ramis again. Uh, Hard Candy, which oh, uh, yeah, right. Um, I've already seen, but I couldn't. I didn't own, so I was like, well, yeah. Uh, Fifty Fifty, which I think is an underrated Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth uh, Rogen movie that also has Anna Kendrick. Um, I really, really liked it the first couple times I've seen it, and so I, I didn't own it, thought I would buy it. Um, I got Moonrise Kingdom on Blu-ray, which was one mm-hmm. of the only Wes Anderson films I did not own. Um, truthfully, I'll probably never rewatch it. I, I find the uh, the it's nice to have it. yeah, I like I'm a I'm a completionist, and um, I I didn't I don't like the whole watching two kids kiss in their underwear. I thought that was weird and um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but and then uh, I've been on a Robert Rodriguez kick, and I've never seen Machete, so I I got that for on Blu-ray, um, and then I I didn't realize who else was in that movie. I just knew Danny Trejo was Machete, but freaking uh, Steven Seagal is in it. Robert De Niro. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, uh, I, I'm sure I I like Robert Rodriguez's tone and most of the things I've seen, so I'm gonna give Steven it a go. Seagal. Yeah, Steven Seagal, that's, man. That's not a bad haul for twenty bucks, though. No, not at all. Um, I also I did buy another copy of Ex Machina on Blu-ray, mm. uh, but I already own it. But it's actually for uh, our film programs. Um, they're doing uh, part of their IB film requirements. Um, wh- that was one of the movie options, so I snagged the second one to make it easier. Um, because it was know, too the first bucks. time I watched that film, I really didn't get into it at all, and then I rewatched it subsequently a couple of years later, and it clicked. Just, it's just odd how the first time I watched it I just didn't invest in it whatsoever second time I thought it was excellent yeah um, I, I've only watched it once but I was so uh, I went in like so excited and then I was really hooked in it and I've been meaning to rewatch it actually because I, I liked it so much the first time around but yeah I love I love um, uh, General Hux and Poe Dameron getting together outside of Star Wars Donald Gleeson Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander um, I always enjoy watching her in films. It's the, the cast is what drew me to it. I don't see the director, but the cast drew me to it. And I don't know why it just didn't work for me the first time. But then I guess once it once I'd watched it and kind of had an understanding what the heck was going on, really really enjoyed it. Mhm. Agreed. Um, but yeah, that was that was my uh, little little trip to uh, this thrift store. That um, it's it's the second time I've been there, and each time I've spent at least fifteen bucks. And got a really solid collection of films. Um, I, I and they actually so they have this wall. It's like six shelves, like that are uh, about six foot, 
um, and there's, I don't know, five or six shelves, and they're they just stacked with DVDs, right? I spent my first 20 minutes there, like, just looking at the wall, pulled mm-hmm. a bunch there. Then I found out today they had some crazy thing happen where they got, they have two, no, I'm sorry, four huge bins of movies that were behind me that I hadn't even noticed. <laughs> And staring at the wall for 20 I minutes. was staring at the wall and so um, two of the bins are like we have I've talked about Redbox before I don't I know you yes. don't um, so like I guess they had a deal with like a, a Redbox for their old movies and they have a bunch of Blu-rays that are in like the Redbox like little sleeve um, for two bucks a piece and that's where I got the Ex Machina like, and they were a lot of the same movies I mean there were tons of copies of Interstellar and The Martian <laughs> um uh, and then the the other two bins were just DVDs that I guess had been donated, and it was a little hard to shop through those because they're just like piled on top of each other. Um, but I was still I was like, oh my god, this place is crazy for a thrift store. I've never seen so many movies at a thrift store. It is my new like little uh, place to go hunting for uh, you know rare finds because like I got Notorious last time the Hitchcock film, and yeah, that's. Yeah. That's out of print on DVD because they just they're either just released or they're releasing on Criterion this year, um, and so I I was like I found it for a dollar like I've wanted to see Notorious for a while and I've not been able to get it because the prints were like sixty bucks for the DVD or whatever, and I found it for a buck at a thrift store. I'm just like okay, this place is awesome. So not that's not what this podcast is about, of course. But no, but I feel like I feel like for March I need to rival this somehow. So I'm going to go find the nearest thrift store um, or secondhand yes. store and try and get myself a haul as well. Because it, oh, I find myself so desperate to watch new films that I lose track of the films I haven't seen or the ones I want to rewatch. And um, being under the weather this week, as all I've done is just watch films, you know, which I have previously seen before, which is always yep. quite good. So I guess I need to be ill in order to go back and watch stuff. But as John says, we aren't here to talk about thrift store uh, uh, boys, even though that's a pretty damn good haul. In this show, the bloody awesome movie podcast. John and myself, we discussed the major releases from the month just gone, which was February, um, January, sorry, in this case. No, it was February. It is February. Do bear with me. It was February. Um, so we, we, got, we dive into those movies with our opinions and thoughts, and we always aim to go spoiler-free. We may, go, we may discuss a synopsis, but that's widely out there. We don't go into spoilers, so don't worry about that. Um, so how it works is we discussed the four films, which we believe to be the top releases of the month, in detail. And then we have the best or worst of the rest, which is everything else we saw in February, just in a little bit less detail. So uh, kicking off the month, we have plumped for The Lego Movie 2, the second part. Uh, This was directed by Mike Mitchell and had a voice cast of Chris Pratt, Elizabeth Banks, Will Arnett, Tiffany Haddish, Stephanie Beatrice, Charlie Day, Alison Brie, the wonderful Nick Offerman and Maya Rudolph. Um, It took, what, five years for this sequel? Yep. which is a bit of a surprise because the returns on the franchise have been dwindling. I though I, I enjoyed the Lego Batman movie. I got enjoyed it quite a lot, actually. And Ninjago was okay. But this one, the second part, is basically much, I found, pretty much the same as the Lego movie, which was five years earlier. You get similar animation. Obviously, it's you know slightly better because it's newer. Uh, similar situations, and you know we get different messages for the kids, which are always good, and the messages are good gender roles responsibility mortality but this one is it's a lot more musical than that first one i find and the problem is the musical numbers are just all right they're not well they're not awesome everything's not quite awesome this time story-wise there's a couple of strange decisions towards the end which convolute things which were already established 
it, it's, I didn't find it as funny as the first film. There's some good gags in it. I'm not gonna lie. There are some very good jokes, but these kind of occur in the first half. I found when it's all a bit Mad Max Fury Road esque, which is pretty damn cool. I didn't really care much for the second half, despite getting Rex Dangerous, probably the best character in the film. But for the third act, there are parts of it where I found myself just losing concentration quite quickly and just not waiting to get for the end credits, but not far off. But the very end scenes caught my attention again. Um, what they were in the voice acting is good across the board. Bruce Willis turns up for another easy payday. So, oh. well, well done, Bruce. But it's not, So the cast are great. It looks good. It's just a, the story, which for me, holds it back. There's not that much wrong with this film overall it is a pretty good film it's serviceable but I think we both agreed and seemingly the internet's agreed it's lacking the spark that the Lego movie had the Lego movie felt fresh it felt new it felt you know it, it felt different it felt somehow they made Lego into something viable and something profitable and the Lego movie too I don't know it just feel it feels to me now I'm not sure whether they're going to go for a third instalment, I wouldn't necessarily be rushing out to see a third instalment if they did have one, which is strange because the Lego Movie 2 isn't a bad film. It's just yeah. okay. Well, um, I didn't think it had the spark, and I believe you thought the same. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's not. It's it's actually harder to talk about movies like this because this is a, a middle of the road sequel. There's nothing. Yeah that I felt like was really wrong with it. There's nothing like where I can be like, oh, well, this is why this movie's awful. Um, and it's at the same time, it's like, but there's something missing. I, I didn't have as much fun. I mean, I laughed a few times. Um, I liked uh, Tiffany Haddish's character of the princess whatever or queen whatever or whatever yeah, yeah. it was called. Um, I especially liked the the Batman story in this one. I, I really love Lego Batman, in fact. I just love Batman, uh, yeah, Lego yeah. Batman. And Will Arnett is just terrific in the character, um, and I think their kind of interpretation of the character is both loving and mocking of the character, which I, I kind of appreciate, because Batman is kind of a crazy character when you really step back and, and you know, look at it from a real perspective. And I think I think they do a really good job with that humor in all three iterations of that Batman character. Um, and I loved... Uh, but I feel like if you've seen the first Lego movie... And I think uh, I think Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension is the one who pointed this out, and I completely agree. And if I'm wrong, it was somebody from Slash Film, but um, I'm pretty sure it was Tyler. That the first movie, a big part of it is the reveal about what the story is, that mm -hmm. that it's the imagination of something, you know. And I don't. I'm not even trying to. I'm trying to avoid spoiling the first film from five years ago here, <laughs> but. You, since we know that when we go into this movie, I think it recontextualizes all of the Lego stuff, and I think it we're constantly trying to figure out what is actually happening, and the movie isn't as interested in that for a large chunk of the film. It wants us to just be in the Lego story, but we're aware of what's the reality now because the first movie that's a it's kind of a twist, you know yeah. when when we realize what it's truly about, and here we already know that conceit. And I don't think they embrace it enough early on, and I, I do feel like it it was in the back of my head the whole time, is I'm like, well, what's really happening? And how does this work? And if that's the case, why is that thing? And, um, I mean, it's in the forefront, again, if you already know it, because of, like, the whole alien, like, the name of the aliens or the little sister or whatever, like, it's, it's, mu it's very much there. But it's also still trying to ignore it as though it's not there. Like, no, 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 these are, they have feelings and emotions and, um... 
and I'm not nitpicking it for those things, but it it did feel less uh, it was less inspiring. It was less um, original, I think, as a result. And I don't know that every movie has to be like, oh, this has never been done before. But it did it did lose something to me that I felt with the first movie. Like I remember the when the first one ended, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Like I was like, oh my god, and I laughed like yeah, nonstop through that movie. movie. Yeah. Especially because it was at a time when those those uh, property movies where it was just like, hey, we have Battleship. Why don't we make a movie called Battleship? It'll have nothing <laughs> yeah, well. to do with the game. But, uh, you know, other than there will be ships. And it's like there was that. Be a battle. Yeah, pretty much from Transformers on. Right. Like it was like, what can we take <laughs> that we have these toys for that we can turn into something that we can sell more of? That's totally what I thought Lego movie was going to be. And it never felt like that at all. Um even though it, it is still a commercial in, in essence, um, it never felt like that. And I don't think 2 does either, but it also doesn't feel as as perfect as that first one. Because I, I, I laughed way more. I walked away much more overall inspired. And one of the things that did bug me um, with this one is they, they kind of comment on their own flaw with the writing. Because Wildside, uh, the, the female character voiced by Elizabeth Banks... Um, is kind of the badass hero character, but she ends up like taking a backseat to Chris Pratt's Emmett in the first movie. And she kind of gets like, that gets called out here. And then they proceed to do it again. And it's yeah. like, if you're going to call it out, shouldn't she take over as the main character? And she doesn't. She falls farther behind and Emmett takes over even more with Rex Dangerfield or what Danger Vest. Sorry, Dangerfield. Danger Vest. That'd be a whole different movie. It was like, I don't get no respect. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, so that was like, okay, you called out your own writing flaw and then you just embraced it a second time. But, okay. Um, so little things like that, I guess you could nitpick and, and make this as a lesser film. I do think it's it's service, it's definitely enjoyable. I think little kids are going to love it. Like, I don't think there's, like, anything that's way off. Um, there are some really cool animation elements in this film, too, with especially with Tiffany Haddish's character, who's constantly changing shape. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's a feat like for it to just constantly be moving um so with stuff like that it's a, a really impressive film and there are some cool references and you get those like i think a lot of the justice league jokes are really funny um yeah but overall um i was i was slightly disappointed yeah written by a couple of newly crowned oscar winners some lord and miller mm-hmm. it was the writing was what let the film down as john pretty much said as well it looked good the the, the voice cast was good it's just something in the story and they're kind of negating their own rules and it's it just yeah uh, if you're going to do a sequel you need for me I, maybe maybe i'm just a purist or maybe i'm just one of those guys who just wants to believe but if you're going to do a sequel then it needs to be a just justified reason for having a sequel and i'm not sure the lego movie 2 and i okay oh falling foul falling foul of my own rules i hate the phrase do we need this film but I, and i generally don't like that phrase but the Lego Movie Two. I mean, it's, it seems like it's just made just because. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hundred million dollar budget. It's only pulled in one hundred thirty nine million worldwide. So it's a fa- it's flopped at the box office. People and this has been this has been out for a month now almost. It's, yeah. It's not going to make bank. No. And see that, to your point, I feel like five years is a long time to rely on the success of that first one. And especially I... since the box office returns have been going down since. Yeah, uh, and the Lego Batman, I think Lego Batman was written for Batman junkies. Like, it, it, there are so many in-jokes that if you're not 
fully up on all of the Batman stuff, you won't get. Uh, and it's mainly like TV movie Batman, not not necessarily comics. Although there was some obscure comic references too. But I, I think if you were not a Batman junkie, Lego Batman was mediocre probably. If you're a Batman junkie, that movie was made for you, and it's amazing. Like it is, and that's me all over. Like that movie. I was laughing and clapping and just it's so like oh my god I know what that is I know what that is I know what that is like it was such a Batman. For those fan. who don't know, John is John has a Batcave in his in his, pla- in his place yeah. now, so he's ultimate Bat Bookman. Uh, yeah, so I, I am, and so but I can totally see why other people didn't love that movie. Um, but the Lego Movie, even I I remember it being more of like a cult thing. Like it was like it did well in the box office, but it was more like. Once it got to home video, everyone was like, "Oh, we should we should check this out." I hear good things. I mean, it made a lot of money. It made almost five hundred million worldwide, um, off a sixty million dollar budget. So huge money. Um, but yeah, this one's not pulling nearly that at all. Uh, worldwide's only one thirty nine, yeah. and that's yeah. Um, well, that's just it as well. You, you mentioned sixty million dollar budget, five hundred plus million return, which is a heck of a feat. But it's five years ago. You can't bank on getting the same success five years later. When, as you just said, when you're releasing these kind of niche films, Batman and a Ninjago films, an IP which isn't instantly recognisable, which haven't exactly blown up the box office. So for them to think, well, hold on, the Lego movie made a ton of money back back in 2014. Surely it's going to do the same now. And I mean, it hasn't. I mean, it, over here in the United Kingdom, it hasn't even made 20 million dollars, and that's the that's the biggest uh, foreign um, uh, foreign. Uh, grosser at the minute if we were else is kind of struggling so it's and I, I, we, I know that box office doesn't equate to quality it could be the best film ever and still not make a lot of money but uh, for that yeah. budget and it's, again it's not a bad film anyone no. you out there listening it's not a bad go and watch it it's, it's perfectly serviceable for, for an hour and 45 minutes but it, it I, I haven't since, since coming out of the theatre I haven't once thought I remember that scene, or that scene made me laugh, or I wish I could put this song on from the soundtrack. I've just completely ignored the fact that I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I've I've had minimal references back to it. Um, mainly everything Batman. Uh, that was really the parts <laughs> yeah. that I liked a lot. And um, I will, I live in a in a like literally Legoland in Florida is like fifteen minutes away from me, um, which I never go to because it's definitely geared towards little kids more so uh, than not. But um, you know we're, we're a lego community because lego we used to have this uh very uh, theme park is a generous term but it was called cypress gardens um it was heavily like nature reserves and we had like a, there were southern bells and uh, at some point they added rides that never were really good um mm-hmm. and it, it shut down and it was it kind of hurt the community because it was this big you know there's a lot of jobs in that um it helped with tourists and once that closed it was it there was i mean it closed because tourists weren't coming but um, Legoland came in and redid, and it's really like it's built the community vastly around it. Um, you know, lots of hotels have opened up because of it, and uh, it's more of a true theme park. You know, there's obviously there's Lego fanatics and things like that. But yeah, just on that, where, where where I was born and grew up for thirty odd years of my life, fifteen minutes around the corner for me, we had Legoland as well, big old ah. theme park, which is a strange coincidence. But when I'm not surprised at that, so you know, I, I, Legoland is an experience if you can go there yeah yeah i mean it's it's perfectly fine and it's it's helped our community greatly so you know and the lego movie only helped that because it made legos even more relevant again um and so you know i want this movie to do well because it does i have i have students that work there i have friends that work at legoland you know it's a it's a big uh system 
in our community to, to like it, it's made the town better in, in a lot of ways so i want lego to become a continue to be a very strong brand um but this movie again it's it's not it's not that it's bad and that's what's that's the craziest part is that it doesn't feel like i can recommend it and at the same time i don't have a reason not to like it's it's like you'll you, you'll probably have a good enough time with it but it's it's not going to be amazing it's not going to be super memorable um but it's also not the worst movie by any means that came out in february this year so i think that pretty much is the perfect way to sum up the first film of the of the bloody awesome movie podcast pretty good not entirely recommended not the worst film you ever see quite enjoyable i think that's yeah. pretty much the best way to sum it up well um i i love talking about this next movie uh, partly because um a lot of the criticisms about it are ones that i've had for a long time about the the person who's getting them levied at them so i love that but uh we're gonna be jumping into alita battle angel um it, it is directed by robert rodriguez but the important thing here is it's not just the director but the writer is james cameron uh leta caligaritis um i don't know who if i said that as horrible as i think i did um and it's also robert rodriguez gets a writing credit on some areas he's not getting one on imdb though um, and then Yukita Kashiro is the graphic novel uh, series called Gunnam. Gunnam. Yes. There's an M at the end. Gunnam, yeah. Um, I, not Gundam, just to clarify, uh, if it, if there's any confusion there. Stars Rosa Salazar, Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Conley, Mahershala Ali, whose name I butcher every time. Ed Screen, Jackie Earl Haley, uh, and Kean Johnson. I think is how you say that. Um, so I have said for a while that james cameron is overrated and ultimately i don't mean the looks of his movies his movies often look amazing it's that his story is always super generic and weak and i continue to uh to levy that complaint when any, anybody ever's like about well, avatar i'm like no avatar's a stupid movie it's really bad the freaking thing they're chasing <laughs> is called unobtainium it's called unobtainium must i say it a third time unobtainium was the best thing he could come up with and that movie does not deserve to be the number one grossing film of all time. Um, and yet it is. Now, Alita, on the other hand, while I think the plot is really choppy and bloated at the same time with a two and a half hour run. No, it's only two hours and two minutes. But it feels like it's two and a half hours only because so much happens in such a small span of time that it does feel like they, they could have trimmed some of the stuff out um, and stretched out other parts a little more. Because some things feel very rushed other things feel tacked on um but rosa salazar and the character of alita are the saving grace of this film i loved alita the character so so much and i i think rosa salazar is the reason she is terrific in the role she is a character that you root for that you love even when she's acting insane and there is a really like crazy girlfriend stalker type moment in this movie um that probably takes the cake out of any of those types of characters because it literally tries to give her heart to a boy but it is um it is a movie that i found a lot of joy in and it's also one of the few a few occasions where i think it's worth seeing in 3d um the 3d here is fantastic i saw it at imax 3d and i'm very glad that i did it looks amazing um, even though some people have mocked the character design of the big eyes and all that, but I, I thought it worked. Um, Robert Rodriguez is really good at juggling this kind of comedic tone within a action drama. Um, you see it in once uh, in uh, 
of the Desperado movies, even in Sin City, which is very, very dark, there's still this underlying kind of dark humor that runs through the film. And I think Rodriguez is really good at that. And I think that works here for the most part. Um, I like Christoph Waltz here. Uh, I do feel like Jennifer Connelly and Mahershala Ali are both kind of wasted. Um, and uh, there are maybe too many characters. I think you could you could combine a couple of characters and, and trim off some of the excess um, by doing so. Uh, although I do like both Ed Screen and Jackie Earl Haley in this movie. Um, and the biggest problem of all is poor Keanu Johnson. Um, he is he is not the right guy for this role um he's not uncharming but he's also about as vanilla of a character as you could have got um at least in the performance um again especially bouncing off of the talent that we just listed he is just he's just not there um i don't know he might be able to get there with more time this is one of his early roles i don't think he's done too much but he is uh he's lacking something um and there are tons i think you could argue that there's tons of plot plotting problems i don't necessarily think there's like a major plot hole or anything i just think there's major jumps that the movie asks you to take that Mm -hmm. feel that you're aware of it's like a huge bump in the road or a giant pothole where you're just like you know oh i think we might have lost a tire like things are (laughs) off and you felt it and uh it just keeps going though um getting to where it finally does stop because it 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 feels like it's at where the movie ends you could easily go for several more hours and get more story and that's it almost feels like this could have been a series or that maybe they should have structured a trilogy or something where less happened but more happened at the same time you know i mean like where it's Yeah, yeah yeah we spend a little more time with some of the story elements that get rushed through to try to cram so much into this two hour film but overall I enjoyed Alita a lot. Um, it's a movie I definitely will probably be purchasing uh, when it comes out. And um, again, I think Ro- Rosa Salazar continues to impress me. Um, you know, she was in the Maze Runner f- series. Uh, she was in one of my favorite parts of Chips, which Chips, Chips. was is a bad movie, but I enjoyed it. Like I was laughing like throughout, but when it was over, I'm like that movie's stupid as crap. But I had a pretty good time overall. And Rosa Salazar was a big part of that. And then um, Alita, I think she's terrific. So I was expecting this to be terrible. I, I've i mentioned in my intriguing list of 2019, I put this in there because I was intrigued to see if it would be bad because it was pushed back. I think it was meant to come out in December, kind of the which was mm-hmm. the cavern of December where everything was coming out. So they pushed it back, and it turns out quite rightly because it would have been swallowed up by Mary Poppins, by Aquaman, Mortal Engines, yeah. all these films would have just, you know, would have taken everything away from Alita. And I had a really good time with this film. Um, you mentioned the story. Yeah, I can't disagree. It, the story sounds pretty bog standard. It's not too dissimilar to Ghost in the Shell or things like Elysium in terms of story. But the visually, I found this visually to be mesmerising. And obviously you've got the title characters, a live action, motion, facial, performance, capture hybrid. Just imagine if that didn't work. You've got to spend the best part of two hours looking at something which really doesn't work. And like you mentioned, people have uh, pointed out the big big eyes and that, but it's just how the character is. Let's get over it. It, The character of Alita looked incredible. Rosa Rosa Salazar is so good. She injects depth and humanity into this 
like I said, a CGI animated performance capture character, and it's that which really sells the story, the heart behind it all, which I never thought I would find here. Yeah. And yeah, Mahershala Ali. He, I found, I thought he had a real presence when he was on screen, just because of yeah Mahershala Ali's uh, acting himself. But he is wasted. Jennifer Connelly's wasted. Christoph Waltz looks like he's having a bit of fun. He and does. Poor old Kean Johnson. I, I half expected him to pull up and start complaining about how much he doesn't like sand. He oh is my god, dude! That comparison. Craig <laughs> Christensen may even have. I may even have been better in Attack of the Clones just because at least he had something going for him but Keen Keen Johnson he's just so he is just literally they've just something that has dropped him in then said right can you just say these lines get some puppy dog eyes and you know try try, try and have some chemistry please and I felt sorry for the guy because it's I mean he's he's obviously not a bad actor because he's been cast in this role and he's probably going to have a great career but the love angle didn't work for me the chemistry didn't work because unfortunately of Johnson's performance. Rosa Salazar is just fine, but like I said, the, yeah, the the writing by Calagridis is is cliche. It's a bit corny. Some of the dialogue is bloody awful in this film. I've got to say, some of the dialogue had me gripping onto the side of the chair, thinking, oh, "No." Yeah. Like John said, some of the plot beats and are quite. They ask you to believe in that characters can be in inconceivable locations at the snap of a finger, and the the, the narrative and the plot in itself is a bit of a mixed bag but the story's fine there's a lot of emotion behind it I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would aside from Rosa Salazar what really did whip my whip me was the action in this film was just pulsating the action yeah. was incredible really and I try not to overstate that because I didn't expect it to be so good but it is thumping the action is when Okay, again, we don't we don't we don't talk spoilers, but when Alita starts to become herself, wow, the, the, the uh, it is just, oh. and and it doesn't go full Transformers, where and by that I mean you, it's not so quickly edited and choppily edited that you can't see what's going on. You can see who is fighting who, you can see what's happening, who what the stakes are. It's not like obviously Transformers was where it's just what's happening, metal everywhere. It worked, and I enjoyed it. So Editing-wise, it's good. I liked the soundtrack as well. Alita Battle Angel was a film I never expected to enjoy, and oh, I really didn't. It seems like people around the world might be. 170, well, 170 to $200 million budget, which I imagine most of that went on Alita's look, is yeah. currently sitting on $290 million worldwide. So and I don't think it's opened in China yet, if I'm not mistaken. It hasn't, and I expect it to... Expect never know but I expect it to do pretty decent over there I know a lot of people are expecting it to break the bank yeah. I'm expecting it to do well if this, if Elite Battle Angel could end up at 400 million plus that's a big result I think yeah and this is one of the biggest budgeted movies Robert Rodriguez has ever done mm-hmm. and that's I, I have a immense respect for him especially um, after him doing the uh, the series that just that the first season just ended the um uh, Rebel Without a Crew, the series, which gave my now friend uh, Alejandro Montoya Marin his his opportunity for his first feature, um, and you know I I love that he wants to help launch other directors because that's the thing with Rodriguez and Tarantino they love film, and it shows in their work, and I feel like that's here too. Like even um, I don't think this movie's perfect. I think there's a clear love of the craft and. Um, 
whether or not you like it, you have to at least admire the uh, the ambition here that Rodriguez brings. And that's where I am with Cameron. I, I make a lot of comments about Cameron. I, just, I do feel like Cameron gets too much forgiveness for his, uh, his films because they are so gorgeous. And again, we also have, like, Aliens and Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is bad in many ways, is also great in so many other ways. But these were decades ago now almost. Exactly, and Titanic is better than I give it credit most of the time. I still think very it's very long. It is very long, and it is it's if you take the story off of that ship and put it in like you know a regular city, it's a crappy, mediocre love story. Yeah. It's only epic because of the setting, and that's probably not a fair complaint. But it it does go back to my point that he's not a great writer, and I think we forgive that too much because he's so great at the visuals. And Avatar is the epitome of that because the story is trash and it's gorgeous and that was enough to make people go see it. This movie is gorgeous. The story is kind of trash, not an original property though, and I think that helps it because there was a source material to pull from. But I think uh, Rodriguez has a really good grip of main characters Um, because that's when I think of like Desperado like Desperado is a simple straightforward action film but I love Antonio Banderas in that and it's because his character is badass like this just to pull a scene real quick he's hurt he's hiding in a bookstore and he is trying to load his gun one-handed without making a single sound and the the cut back to him and he like makes a click and he just pauses and goes oh it's so awesome (laughs) And that, to me, is all Rodriguez, like, understanding his character and how to make a character badass, relatable, and cool. And and Alita is all of those things. She is all of those things, and I attribute that to Rodriguez's direction and Salazar's performance. Because, again, if no matter how good a director you are, if, if the actor can't pull off what you're trying to sell, it doesn't matter. And I don't know how tough it must have been for Salazar, cause, uh, but my understanding, this motion capture was like the first done on location. It's not done in a green room like yeah, it traditionally was. So I'm giving a lot of credit to Salazar here because I, I just I think she's an up and coming superstar. Um, and the the funny thing is I don't know how many people will recognize her in anything else because of how distorted her figure is here, um, because of the obvious you know she's a an android or a cyborg or whatever the correct term is. She's a battle angel, and she's also in Bird Box as well. For those out there who watch that film, oh, that's right. And she that's has right. A, um, with Machine Gun Kelly. And, yeah, she has a coming together in a closet uh, with somebody. So, um, yeah, she's not in it that long. But if you like her, then you may like certain scenes in that film. Um, which I didn't mind that film too much, but yeah, you, you mentioned it as well. The re- relatability. There's something about the character of Alita which I rooted for, but you can see, like I say, you can see real humanity in in her and her quest and her struggle and her adventure journey and you know whether we get more films who knows they may maybe maybe they were setting them up but i think they probably were setting up of course they were um but i guess maybe they just tried to cram as much as possible in case they didn't get that second film like uh the predator tried to uh set up a franchise bombed at the first hurdle but on james cameron he's revolutionary in terms of his research and i mean what he did to get those little ships down out to the to the seabed and film the actual Titanic. Yeah, yeah. That is, you know, that's hats off to the guys. Well, and but... his technology. I mean, his CG going back to the abyss. He has set the bar time and time again for what CG is. I mean, the three D movie wave that happened in two thousand and nine, ten, eleven was because of Avatar and how it yeah. utilized three D technology 
So, I mean, he's done a lot for film in that regard. And it's why, as much as I like to uh, trash talk, I obviously respect what he can do. But I still think he gets... I get I, When you compare him to some of the other directors and, and writers uh, especially, I do think he is a bit overhyped. Um, especially, again, I am a, I'm big on story and I always find his stories to be lackluster. And this one, it, it just wins me over. Um, but I do have still issues with this. Like, like you said, dialogue, another a big flaw with James Cameron is a lot of dialogue. It's, some of it's awesome. And it's, yeah. it's just like the man of took us... James Cameron talks a lot of toilet. Some of the stuff he says, I think, just shut up, Cameron. Honestly, just don't, just stop talking because he talks out of his backside a lot of the time, and I think a lot mm-hmm. of that translates into some of his bloody awful scripts at times. But yep. he then gets, like I say, Aliens is one of my favourite sci-fi slash horror films, uh, and probably yeah. most other people's. And um, T two is just a lot of fun, but then and the Abyss is good, and he's done countless other films which are very good. But then for me, he reached a point maybe it was Titanic where I just wasn't invested in his films like you say they look good but story wise they're not I mean he had three hours a three and a bit hour runtime of Titanic we all went there to watch the ship crack in half we went to see that he's now got a film best part of two and a bit hours yep. with a love story which nobody went to see I know lots of people really like it and that's great but people at the Titanic to see the end of the Titanic which is tragic as it is Avatar people went because of the gimmick and the 3D which was was good the 3D was great the story and the characters I don't remember any of the characters names the story was naff if he mm-hmm. thinks he's getting if he's going to get five films out of this then <laughs> holy moly I mean if he does well done but again same as we were just been talking about with the Lego movie Avatar was what damn near a decade old now yep I there are fans of the franchise. Just be, my, my, my circles and aren't the be-all and end-all of the movie world. But I haven't heard anyone calling for an Avatar sequel in 10 years. In the times I've spoken with John many times, he's never mentioned that he wants to see an Avatar. Oh, I Any don't. of the pods I've done with John or anybody else, nobody's ever mentioned, I really want more Avatar. In fact, it's the other way around. It's just like, eh, it was good for what it was. So if we get five films out of that, then... Well, he's, he's done well to earn that money, but he's... Yeah, he's... His stories are not great, and it's the weakest part of Alita is some of the storytelling, especially though the dialogue. Some of the dialogue is awful, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed this far more than I ever thought I would. A lot of that is down to the titular character. So if you haven't seen Alita, and, I, and echoing what John said, I haven't seen it in 3D. If you get a chance to, from what I've heard, absolutely do it. That's it. So... That was Elite. Maybe, maybe the th- maybe the next film on our list will be just as much get just as much praise as Alita. And the next film on our list is a concluding part of a trilogy. Is How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, directed by a man whose name I can never pronounce. So I'm just going to say how I think it is. Dean De Blois. Dean De Blois. Yeah. De- Dean De B. Um, <laughs> cast was a uh, J-, J Barrichello again, America Ferrara, Kate Blanchett, Craig Ferguson, Jonah Hill, Kit Harrington. He knows nothing. Justin Rupel, Ruppel, Christian Rigg, Wig, Poh, F. Murray Abraham, and Gerard Butler. Um, another film which had problems getting to the big screen was How to Train Your Dragon 3, because I think there was issues behind the scenes with Universal, DreamWorks, animation and whatnot. But the first two films were, you know, they did surprisingly well at the box office and critically as well. 
and there is an audience for this film. And the problem is with a third film, is it going to be any good? Is it going to be the trilogy topper, or is it going to be the one which kind of think, think oh, why couldn't you have been good? I thought this was a pretty damn good film. I really quite enjoyed The Hidden World. The story itself is a bit, by numbers, a bit formulaic, but the key element, as we've said before in other, for other films on this show, the key element of The Hidden World is the characters. What this series has done so well is introduce the characters, make us give a hoot about the characters, but also give them an arc. And it's an arc which has gone through all three films. It It's funny what happens when you plan out a trilogy in advance and, and see it through and not just do it by film by film. And it shows because how he handles the lead character, his name, I can't think of his name now. Um, um, Hiccup. Hiccup. How he handles Hiccup's arc through the three films and how it culminates in this one it's brilliantly done. Like the hero's journey is so well done, um, and that's something which Dean Deby deserves an awful lot of credit for. Voice acting again, I've, as with the Lego Movie, it's on point. It's great. The voice acting is excellent, and I'm not always a big fan of Jay Baruchel, but he's, I like him as his character. The animation is a, the animation I think is excellent in this film, even down to the smaller details, like the little hairs on the faces, which uh, little beard hairs which wisp in the wind, and yeah. it re- they really help. I think the animation I mentioned is great. This, the plot is a bit thin, and for me there was a bit of a dip in the middle. But it's well written, and for the most part it's engrossing, and the humour is still present. And it, I think though, I think this film felt a bit more. I'm not saying mature, but I'm going to say a bit more mature, as if the films have grown with their audience. It felt a bit more grown up. Some of the jokes and some of the situations, but without saying anything crucially critically vitally the end of this film works it after 10 years or so of stories this is a justified and earned finale and you know i can't say anything about it because i can't but it works and that's what really really made me so pleased with this and uh, also hiccup's got a flaming lightsaber which is bloody awesome pretty much which is pretty cool but so it's light on narrative it's big on heart there's some great messages. It sticks the landing. For me, it's just as good as the previous two movies, and it's a fitting finale for a trilogy, which I never really had. Never thought I'd become too invested in. I haven't got posters on my wall or How to Train Your Dragon t-shirts, but I'm surprised, I'm surprised how much I enjoyed this. $129 million budget, nearly $300 million worldwide return, says other people did too uh were you a fan of the hidden world john well i'm gonna uh point out some interesting things here uh in how to train your dragon hit the hidden world uh the the second part of the trilogy came out in 2014 um same year that lego movie 2 came out um five years later for both we get a sequel and much like lego movie 2 this one felt lackluster to me and unnecessary in a lot of ways and again i'm not one to say a film isn't necessary just like you pointed out with the lego movie 2 However, I sat through the first, I don't know, 25 minutes of this movie very unhappy that I was sitting at the movie, um, just waiting Ooh. for something to kick in that I cared about. Um, the flaming lightsaber. But much like uh, what I'm going to say about a lot of this movie, it's it looks cool, but it does nothing. And that is a great <laughs> metaphor for this movie, is that it looks gorgeous. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, like you said, there's a part where uh, 
toothless writes in the sand and like the individual grains of sand are noticeable like you see them rolling on top of each other like that's the level of detail is insane yet so much of this movie does nothing and the lights the i like the idea of a flaming lightsaber because it looks awesome but he doesn't do anything with it like he barely even swings the sword and more importantly there's a part where he's being stealthy and he ignites it and i'm like dude you just lit a torch like what are you doing um it it's the villain while uh is voiced by um uh f murray abraham which was surprising to me because that's not i don't think of him as like a, a villainous voice actor um what? it did it did it did at the same time who the crap cared about this villain this is the most crammed in story into this final movie um i felt like there were so many ways they could have gone with this movie and a lot of the, what we're really looking for doesn't happen until the last 10 minutes of this film. And I'm quoting Jeff Kanata there from Slash Film. I, I did list, I, I saw this last night. This is the most recent film I've seen on this list. It's fresh. It's very fresh. And I haven't even written my review yet, which has almost never happened when we've recorded BAMP. I always almost have my review already out. And I haven't even written it yet. Um, and I usually don't listen to someone else's reviews before having actually written mine. But... I, I'm really glad that I did because I do think the slash film review articulated a lot of my concerns because much like the Lego movie, this movie is in the middle of the road for me. It's not that it's bad. There's nothing distinctively like this movie sucks. It's also, I, the only thing I really liked is Toothless because Toothless is an adorable character. And at the same time, I kind of hate a lot of the whole mating element of this movie because it's weird. Like it's like I loved the dragons mating, and it's not because I get it on because I don't. It, they do no. it by a dance. <laughs> For anyone yeah, out yeah. who thinks I'm a complete freak, <laughs> the wording that was a little bad. Just, yeah, <laughs> I love dragons getting it on. But I like it was for me that was kind of a standout scene where the oh. the dance because John Powell's score and I really like John Powell. John Powell's score is excellent in that scene. Well, so I and the score is phenomenal in this whole franchise. Like the the music for the the dragons movies are great, and I have to say. I've liked each movie. I've not disliked one of them, and yet I don't own any of them. And I have really no desire to go back to them. And I even share a namesake with the freaking city of the movie because it's Burke. Like that is the name. And I have still. And it, it's not that they're not great. It's just there's something about them that keeps me at a distance. Um, and I, I, I think Toothless is one of the coolest design characters. I have dragon tattoos on both of my legs, not from these movies. They're just dragons. But because of, it's because of Burke. But I, I grew up a huge Bruce Lee fan who is known as the dragon. Like dragons are something that I have a strong attachment to um, in a lot of ways. And so these movies should be like ones that I'm repping. Like you said, I should have posters on my wall. I have nothing. And this movie... Um, it took a while for me to even feel like I cared about it. Like some of the jokes did not land for me. Um, I, I did see it and there were quite a few families there with kids, which always makes me feel awkward anyways. Cause I'm like the one lone guy in the room. Um, but like there was a couple of fa families where they were like hysterically laughing for minutes. Um, I think, uh, you know, from Kristen Wiig's character, uh, rough nut or tough nut. I don't remember what the twins names are, uh, like vice versa, but like there's some funny scenes for sure. I laughed at moments. I did feel like the overall plot was was very redundant and generic. And I don't know if you know this, and I learned this. Um, I'd heard this, but I heard it a lot during the uh, review on the Slash film. The original How to Train Your Dragon 2 ending was Hiccup's mother was supposed to be the villain. 
and they're Ooh. supposed to be at odds with each other. And this third movie, so like you said, plan trilogy. I think the trilogy plan got altered severely when they decided not to keep her as the villain in the second movie because she wasn't going to die there. She would have been the villain in this movie too, which changes the dynamic of cramming this other villain into the role because she would yeah, have been in that role. Yeah, he was a stock role. villain, yeah. Yeah, and he's it's crammed in there because like, we have to have someone who's hunting the dragons and blah, blah, blah. Um, and ultimately, I don't think you need that. I think even if the mom had if it had ended like it did in the second movie and the mom is with the with burke and she's living there and his mom is you know part of his life again he could still decide to leave burke because the city's falling apart because of all the dragons they're rescuing so you don't need a villain hunting them to to elicit the move in my opinion i think there was a need for it when we see them destroy literal like half of the the village is taken out by an accidental dragon like b- bumping into something so there was reason to leave the city without the villain and this is that's not a spoiler this is the first 15 minutes of the movie or whatever and yeah. um i i don't know i felt overall underwhelmed i i think um astrid as the character is uh is very like underused and she's kind of nothing more than there to support hiccup and i think that's a shame um I also I don't like a lot of the voice acting in this. It, some of the voices to me don't fit the characters, um, and I don't know. I I don't remember feeling that way with the other two iterations. But this movie, uh, maybe I was just because I was feeling kind of di- like disconnected from it. I was nitpicking, as possible. Um, yeah, I did more the voice acting. Yeah, and it, it, I don't have a specific like it wasn't like oh this voice acting was bad. It was just like I don't feel like all these voices fit. I did notice. T.J. Miller it was in the first two movies, if I'm not mistaken, and was taken out for this one. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm wrong, but I, I feel like he was the twin and then was not the twin in this yeah. one. Um, and the, like, there, there were some choices with the, the twins that were kind of annoying. Like the, the recurrent joke of the beard was like not funny to me. Um, I don't know. Like it's I, I do feel like I'm nitpicking this film, and I don't really know why. I won't. I walked out content but not not overjoyed uh i do feel like there were some missed opportunities and ultimately again not a bad movie i'm not sitting here like it it probably sounds like i hated this movie and i I did not but i wanted to love this movie i want because i was blown away by the first one and honestly i kind of think i was blown away with the second one because i've only seen both of them once and so when I saw the second movie, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed the first one until the second one ended. And this one, I didn't have that same resurgence. It was more like, if if Toothless wasn't in this movie, I don't think I like this movie. And that's, like, I almost feel like I'm being suckered in to the film because Toothless is so cool looking and I like his design. And, um... He kind of reminds me of like my favorite part of Doctor Strange was his cape. Yes. And and then go to Aladdin. I love the magic carpet. With aside from Robin Williams as the genie, the magic carpet is my favorite part of Aladdin. So, you know, Toothless has that same kind of like charm and loving, you know, desire and he's funny and he say he comes in, you know, he's more heroic than Hiccup. He is you know, even though there is a bond, I don't feel like that bond was as well explored in this one. Um, I don't know. I, I like that character, so it, it 
by the end I was smiling more than I wanted to be I think even because he's I just really like Toothless a whole lot he's so cute um and uh going back to the mating things I don't think I finished my thought on it um I had heard before seeing this movie that Toothless was based on a cat like the design of Toothless was very cat-like and I had not noticed that in the first two movies but the mating sequences the noises they're making are cat-like they're very uh feline and it i think i didn't like it a lot because of that i was just like ah, i wish i hadn't been told it was a cat because i all i see are like two cats and that i don't want to watch two cats like trying to get it on so no don't make me think of marvin gay when i think of that but now you, now you <laughs> mentioned that because my my daughter she's got a, a power she's got a toothless toy from i think got from subway or something from the kids mill um and I'm visualizing it now, and it has got like a an animated feline face, mm-hmm. which I, I never now I know that I just think of them as flying cats, yep. which is isn't really quite strange. But I think we all agree John still needs to train his dragon. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't keen on this one, hopefully. But I mean, I yeah, I again, I'm I'm up on this film. It's not going to be in my top twenty of the year, but yeah. I'm up on it. I had a good time with it. I it. It, it had a lull, like I said, it had a lull in the middle for me where it made, on to your point, where it did sort of seem to just meander along. It didn't really go anywhere. Nothing was really being advanced. And then, and then it kind of just like blew into action in the, in the end, um, which is a which is a shame because had it been consistently great throughout, then we're, we're talking different here. But yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was very decent. I thought it was a good end for for a. Again, like I say, I just sound like a broken record, but a strong trilogy, which I personally never expected to get any enjoyment out of, really, to be honest. Yeah, I, I do that, think it was a, a, a franchise that came out of nowhere. Because there's also a TV series, I think a Netflix series, um, uh, that they did, like an animated series. Um, I've never seen any of that, but I, I've heard that's good. I do have a student who is, like, obsessed with these movies. They're, like, his favorite and had been talking about seeing this film for, for weeks and weeks. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to disappoint him on Monday when I have to, like, I don't think it's that good, man. Like, I don't think this one's that good. Like, I think it's, it, it's enjoyable. I think it's, it's fine, but it's, I, I feel like it's a weak ending to a trilogy that could have been excellent. Um, and I do think they take some very easy routes with the writing in this one with a lot of the villain stuff and it it just kind of paint by numbers. And then there's some stuff at the end that I, I'm still like, why did they go that route? And um i don't know i also i feel like the character could have been i feel like hiccup starts like he he lost some of his character development from the previous two films at the beginning of this one like there are things that he's doing that i'm like wait have you not learned things from the other two movies because it feels like we're still kind of sitting at this learning stage and by the third movie i think we should be farther along like i like okay i'm gonna make a comparison here um third movies and trilogies you brought up the lightsaber type sword luke shows up at the beginning of return of the jedi with his green lightsaber that he has built off screen that we have not witnessed him building but he's built since empire when he lost nice to green yes and um he's now dressing and he's referring to himself as a jedi knight like he is he's advanced he is now and i feel like you see that from the end of empire to the beginning of jedi you know he's not the same character you know what i mean like Luke feels like a different character in Jedi in a good way. Like he's, oh, yeah, he turns he turns up dressed in black and yeah, yeah he's developed and he's using the force on Gamorrean pig gods and you can tell there's been 
since finding out Darth Vader's his daddy, spoiler alert, uh, and losing a hand, you, you can tell he's been through some stuff. Yes. Hiccup here, We when we first see them, we're expecting that because they're doing this like stealth mission at the beginning. of like They're rescuing these dragons and they're being all stealthy. And at first, I'm thinking, oh, cool, we're going to see that they've they've all grown up and matured. And what we're told immediately, and we see happen, is that, nope, they haven't at all. They're, they're, they acted like they were ready, but they're not. And so I expected this movie to be like, we'll see them mature. And I don't think we get that story at all, even though that's where we start with them, is there's a lot of reference. We need to get better. We need more teamwork. I don't feel like you ever see that. Um, there's references like Hiccup needs to realize that he can do this on his own, like things like that. And I don't think those, those ever develop. I don't think they ever finish the thought. It's like it's presented to us and then it's just put to the background. Um, and I, I feel like that's another really big missed opportunity. Either one, let them be badass. Like we, we should have came into this movie where they've been doing this and they've gotten really good at it. And yet they still have this new villain who is still better than they are. That would have been so much more compelling, but instead we get this goofy sequence where they screw everything up. They still manage to find success, but it's through luck. And then the villain shows up, and he's, like, way better than they are. So, like, there's almost no chance in a way. And, like, I don't know. I feel like the movie undersold its characters, and, like, they didn't allow them to develop over the course of the three movies enough. And that that's where I think I checked out real early on with this movie. And that's the beauty of film, because... Mm-hmm. I, for, like I said, for me, I thought the opposite. I thought the way they handled the characters and their arcs was really well done. Not just to not just over the trilogy, of course, but in this yeah. film, I thought. Um, but I can see when you put it like that, the idea that they should have started the film with Hiccup basically just, you know, slaying fools left and right, not gratuitously, yeah, but no. with his flaming lightsaber, it would have shown just a, 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 an extra level of maturity but also leadership you know yeah to to step out of the shadows of his father and his and what whatnot now but had they done that again it's little things little things which would have elevated it even further i know you can probably level that at every film but Possibly. sometimes it feels uh, it feels more just than others and having when you put it like that had they included things like that it really would have worked even even better despite the fact that I really did enjoy this film and the the book there was a TV series called Dragons Riders of Book so I guess if we do a double feature with Hudson Hawk which I know you're going to be happy about <laughs> then we've got ourselves a fine bloody awesome uh, marathon there there but, it is I don't know I yeah for a trilogy enjoyed it did I is this film one of the best I've ever seen of course not but I, I had a great time and I think the kids are going to love it yeah, I do. I do think a younger audience will look past a lot of the stuff that I'm hanging up on. But yeah. all right, well, we got one more movie to talk about, and I, we maybe should have put this one first because I don't know that we're going to have a lot of positives to say about it. Um, happy it being very long, very bottom. Yeah, Happy Death Day to you, um, the sequel to the surprise Happy Death Day, a movie that I really enjoyed but you hated. Um, I didn't from, like it at all. From 2017, yeah, not a fan. <laughs> I liked uh, Happy Death Day a lot. I found the tone of that film to be really outstanding, but it's directed, same director, Christopher uh, Landon, although this time he's also the writer, and I do think that is likely where the problem is. Um, Not that I have anything else of his to compare it to, just the fact that it's a different writer, and I feel like where this movie fails is its tone. I don't think it gets what it's trying to do at all. Um, But stars Jessica Roth, who I think is amazing, um, in these two films, I, I think she needs to get something out of this. I hope something big comes from her, for her, from this. But 
Um, Israel Brazard, Fivu, Fivu, um, Suraj Sharma, Sarah Yarkin, and Ruby Modine. Not not household names that you're likely gonna know. Um, the, so this is the sequel. If you didn't see the first one, it's Groundhog Day horror movie. Um, our main character finds herself in a loop uh, where she is being murdered, and she is apparently stuck into it until she figures out. Um, uh, Tree, by the way, is her name, which is uninspired. Um, until she figures out like who her murderer is in the first movie, and then she's she breaks free of the loop in the first film. So you're wondering how could there be a sequel? There's no Groundhog Day two. Well, there's a reason because it shouldn't exist. But um, here, uh, another character starts experiencing deja vu, and then we get into this whole multiverse like mentality. And uh, we get into quantum physics, and they make some, I feel, slightly racial, racist decisions to have the three people who are responsible for the multiverse to be an Asian man, an Indian, Indian, or I, I don't know for sure if he's Indian or not, but uh, clearly the stereotypical smart kids at college, like, doing the science. Um, at the same time, it's nice to have a slightly diverse cast, even though the uh, main character is a white girl. Um, but the movie fails to ever get any kind of sense of what it's doing um is the murder important not really it was in the first movie it's not here um is time travel important well that's debatable because it just resets itself uh my biggest issue with this movie is um following blake snyder's uh save the cat guide to screenwriting um he he breaks a rule of double mumbo jumbo they ask you to believe in one thing and then he piles it on with another thing so uh, believing that a character can be stuck on the same day and it loops over and over again is asking a lot but then um that the t all of the little details of like the quantum physics uh, and the multiverse um and then how characters react and more importantly there's a montage of death which you would anticipate in this movie where it breaks its own rules of how that works because the idea is she dies she goes back to the starting point of the that day and when that happens twice the death carries over where we see an after result of the death which makes no sense in the rules of its own universe um, because that's not restarting the day then if she comes back with her hair frizzed out because of electricity that's that doesn't make sense because she hasn't experienced that yet we've restarted the day breaking your own rules is a fatal screenwriting flaw if you establish something and then you throw it to the side either you're saying we live in a fantasy world where rules don't matter which means anything's up for grabs and there's no stakes and nothing matters and that defeats the purpose of almost every film with the exception of extreme you know comedies or experimental film where they're not looking to adhere to rules this movie just does that over and over again and it is the epitome of a sequel that should not have been made it is a cash grab and nothing more Unfortunately, it does still feature a great performance from Jessica Ruff. I think she does an amazing job with this movie, but the movie is so bland and so boring. Um, I wouldn't again say it's bad. It's it's competently assembled and made, and there are funny scenes, but ultimately there's nothing really redeemable about the sequel, especially when you compare it to the first one. This movie has no sense of its tone that the first film I thought had a strong grasp of, Again, my take on that, but uh, Matt, you hated the first one. How much did you hate the second one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just said it's not a bad film. To me, it's a bad film. 
you, you, I mean, you said it. You said it. It's the epitome of cashing in. Whereas I didn't like the first film. At least it was serviceable. It knew what it wanted to be, mm. and it worked as a one-timer. This is just a studio sniffing that dollar. And, I mean, fair enough. Why wouldn't they? The formula is effective and is appealing. You make a movie, I think the first one was made for about $5 million. It brought in about $50 million. Of course you're going to make another one. And what yeah. this film has done right, and Christopher Land has done right, is he hasn't waited 10 years. He's waited two years or a year and a half to get this film out. So he hasn't yeah. rested upon his laurels. He's got it out quickly. But maybe that's the problem. Because the movie's a mess. Like I said, it's, that's probably the most pertinent thing I can say about it. Is It is a mess. The first film was consistent in its tone. This isn't. I mean, the horror aspect is gone, I think. I think it's seriously gone. The jump scares were weak. There's a lack of atmosphere and tension, I thought. And I commented that the first film was kind of just for the E-Network crowd. Go and enjoy that. This is for Nickelodeon crowd, I found. It's just <laughs> like the, 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 the geeks and the jocks they bring together for the, the gang you know, you've got you've got the hot blonde, you've got the college nerds, and you've got these super bitchy best friends. You've got every one of the cliches are thrown together. It's all bit, all, it all gets very wacky, and the jokes aren't very good either. But what it, it's not—I don't even know what it is. Into, if it's a horror comedy, because it's too self-aware for its own good. Yep. It feels hollow, overly satirical. The writing isn't great, <laughs> just mainly because the formula's run its course. And where that Happy Death Day got it right was it didn't bother going into the phenomenon it was just there you know it didn't really go into it this film goes all in and you get start getting quantum reality machines and I'm thinking what the hell is going on I wanted to come for this film to hopefully redeem the first film and just have a bit of a fun horror romp and then they start throwing that in I'm thinking what the hell there's a manip- manipulative family plot which I didn't like it either god I must sound like a right whiny old sound <laughs> here but if you liked Babyface good luck with that one Jessica Roth, oh, oh, <laughs> to me she's just a little bit less, a little less obnoxious this time around. Not her, but the character of Tree, and she's actually called Tree. Yeah. Um, I didn't like her character in the first one. I didn't find her particularly likable, and I know that was partly how she was written, and then she was meant to be have this arc where suddenly she became um, relatable. But yeah, I didn't like her in the first film. I found her slightly oh. less obnoxious in this film. The montage of death in the middle was just an excuse to get her in a bikini. Which, you know, not, well done, Christopher Landon, you perv. Um, but, oh, God, I I, I I like talking about films which I, which I don't particularly enjoy because I feel like I could just go on forever. And, yeah, I, I won't go on forever. I'll save your ears. If you do like this film, then, again, awesome. What I will say... Is that it, nobody's rushing out to see it compared to that first film? Because yeah, the first one was five million bucks, actually made a hundred twenty-five million dollars. That's why you make a sequel. This one mate, was produced for nine million. Okay, so they doubled the budget. It's currently on forty-four million. It's been out for over a month. It's made a third of what that first film was made, under a third of the first film. This film isn't for some reason. It's people aren't rushing out to see it. Now I don't know why that is. I don't want to speculate, but. If anyone's seen the film, maybe it's because word of mouth isn't spreading like it did in that first film. Because whilst I didn't like the first film, you can da- you're damn sure I know why people went to see it. Because I can see why people would find it fun, a bit you know, a bit fresh, a bit different, kind of like where the Scream franchise went after the very serious first one. It actually had a bit of humour in it. 
but it didn't work for me. I didn't like the title either, so I don't know God knows what they're going to do if they do make a third one. But uh, yeah, I, uh, what I will say is I wanted to like this film. I really did because I like the idea of these kind of films. I love horror films, and I like slasher films for what they're worth. But, but see, this, this one this... didn't work for me. I, I'm also a fan of slasher, and the first movie is a slasher film, exactly. Groundhog Day. This one, like, there's slasher elements, and they are so just, like, sprinkled on. It's There's so much afterthought to the plot of this movie. Exactly. That and like you say about ugh. the reveals and that, by the time you get to the massive reveals, who cares? Because yeah. it's been pushed aside for these, like I say, I mean, for family plots and... I mean, the, the, the mother or boyfriend make a decision and all this stuff. I think I don't care who you pick either way, because you know what I mean. I don't. It's as John said, they they poo-poo their own rules. The they've gone into these scientific mumbo-jumbo quasi-realm things. You've got these other plot threads which are coming up, which have no bearing to anything which I've uh, thought the trailers alluded to, because the trailers sold a different film. Yeah, the trailer yeah. sold a continuation of the first film, yep. but a kind of straight continuation, and I, it's just really bemusing where where they went with this film, and, and I'm not 100 percent sure why they did it. I don't remember who who wrote this, but someone compared it like like a really crappy weird science, and I thought that was a really that great is comparison. Spot on, yeah, yeah, like because they they it's like what what are they trying to do? Are they trying? to pull a weird science like parody because it's so weird it's so it's such a misstep in this film and, and that's like why did you change it from a horror comedy like and uh they they do such a crap job and i get i kind of like that tree is a little more arrogant in this one because she's like i've already done this so like there's done it yeah yeah and i like that because again unlike a lot of sequels where they just kind of the characters don't change at all she is not the same character she was at the beginning of the first movie and i think that's important her the changes she went through carry over into this movie that's the only thing i think the film got right not necessarily even that like all of it works but it's still better than it could have been in that <laughs> regard but it's still like there's so much with the movie that just does not make sense and yeah um, do you know what i'm interested in most actually you met on jessica roth because she was She's credited as being in La La Land. She's very much a supporting background character in La La Land. Yeah. And obviously her big break was Happy Death Day and now Happy Death Day to do. Where on earth does she go from here? Because she doesn't seem like the sort of actress to me who's going to lay down dramatic roots. Is she going to go to more musical? Is she going to stay? Is she going to try and become a scream queen? Where I does like, she go from here? She gets one scene in this movie that is very dramatic and I thought she nailed it. You know, I, I think if you listen to my podcast, uh, listeners... I criticize criers all the time, um, and I think she gets a scene where they, they ask her to cry, and I think she is terrific in that sequence, um, and I think there's there's potential there. Um, she is in a really crappy rom- romance that I saw with my wife last year called, um, oh, what is it? It's the, the cowboy co- country singer movie. Um, <laughs> I can't think of what it's called. I didn't even realize it was the same girl, and like I had just seen like Happy Death Day a few months ago. Or a few months before I saw this movie. Um, hang on, I'm looking at her list because it's a not a great movie. Uh, Forever My Girl, that's what it's called. Never heard of it. And I only went, my wife really wanted to see it. It has a 36 meta score. Um, she is the love interest and it is, oh man, dude, uh, that movie's so bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, she, 
I don't. I want to say she was good in it. I don't think she was. I don't think it was a good movie. I don't remember really finding much at all about the film that I liked. Um, but I, I'd like to see her get opportunities. Um, looking I, at her opportunities, and her next and only film on her slate is a comedy musical. So going back to like the not yeah. necessarily La La, but the musical roots with Mae Whitman, Peyton List, Logan Paul. So musicals maybe is her forte. Maybe. Who knows? I don't. I you know we haven't had a screen queen in a while. Um, What's uh? There, Nev what's, Campbell, maybe. Nev, no, even since then, there's um the girl that's on American Horror Story, and then she was in uh, Scream Four. Um, oh, um, why can't I think of her name? Uh, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, we're gonna find out who it was. It wasn't Nev Campbell because she wasn't. She certainly she wasn't. isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scream Four. Uh, I can't think of Alison Brie. No, um, uh, no. not Lucy Hale. Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts. That's it. Yes. She she's kind of established herself as a modern scream queen between the American Horror Story uh, series and Scream Four. Black Coat's daughter, I think it was called. I said it was called that over here, which I wasn't a fan of. But on reflection, I actually think it was quite a good, good strange horror film. Um, so she's really good in that. If anyone hasn't hasn't seen it, go. I'm not sure what it's called. If it's called, I think it's called February. Any everywhere else, but over here, I know at least I think it was called. Um, it was called The Black Coat's Daughter, and she's in that with uh, Lucy Boynton, who again, another massive oh. fan of her. Their double act is actually very good, and uh, so if you haven't seen that, she's very good in that. So I haven't seen that, but I want to see that. Um... It's a strange horror film, but it's not. Well, it's not. It's it's not really a horror horror film. It's more of a horror thriller, I guess. But they're both very good in that. So if you like Lucy Boynton as well from Sing Street and a host of other projects now, then. Bohemian yeah, well Rhapsody. worth it. That's a Bohemian Rhapsody. Well worth watching it. It's called February or the Black Coat's Daughter. Interesting. Yeah. So she's she's kind of the most recent screen queen that I can think of. Even though she's done indie stuff that's not scream related, um, not just scream the movie, but like scream horror related, I guess I should say. But yeah, um, I wouldn't mind if we get into that. I I do like a well made slasher film. Yes. Um, and they don't happen often enough. This wasn't a well-made slasher. This was. Thing, but... This was not. This is. I do think the first one has some really good slasher elements in it, and I think the humor that comes from it is entertaining. And I mean, imagine if think Halloween, if Michael got to kill Laurie Strode, but Laurie Strode just kept waking up on Halloween again. Like that would be a compelling ass movie. And that's what I found Happy Death Day was. Like it was that type of thing. Um, where it's like Michael just got to keep killing her over and over again, and that those kills got inventive and entertaining throughout that film. Um, this this is not that. This is it. There are moments of this where it feels like it wants to be Deadpool, and it's like yeah, right, yeah, in those montages, yeah, especially the bikini one. I think yes, well, it's just ay ay ay. It's like you're I mean, not. Deadpool. I just want another scream. All the right. first one, just the first one. I want another film to come out. Like that, which, which was yeah, again self-aware. It was full of re- references, but it worked on a slasher level. For sure, it was you know at the time when I watched it, it was a you know a tense, scary film, and it had the iconic uh, Ghostface Killer, it, and Nev Campbell was a sc- scream queen. It had a, it had the twist in it, it, and obviously had that brutal opening scene which nobody saw coming. It, I want a film like that to come out, and I know I sound like an entitled it was so and so. I want, I want, but you know what I mean. That's the kind yeah. of film I wish would come out now. To and I'm sure uh, the listener out there is probably shouting now, saying, "What about this, this, and this from recent years?" But 
I don't know. I just want a hard, I just want a good old throwback type yeah. film. Yeah, hit us up though. If there is one that we need to watch, let us know. We'll we'll maybe get to it. Yeah. Um, so that's the main four of the month. Um, you know, we've we've talked to the, the what we view as the main four, and that is there's always a little conflict here because sometimes something will open for Matt that doesn't open for me, or vice versa. And so, like, there's a couple movies on the list that I'm gonna we're gonna talk about in our kind of micro reviews here um, that Matt hasn't had the chance to see, and uh, there might be, well. Minor, the ones that you've seen that I haven't been able to see is partly uh, because they came out very small release here, never came local to me, um, and they're actually already out on video. I just haven't gotten to them yet. But um, well, the first one you're going to talk about, I would have seen this week had I not been plagued by a bedridden ah. illness. I was, it was, it's on my, it's on my, not less intriguing. It's on my anticipated list for this year, yep. and I haven't seen it yet, but I will do by the time this show goes out. So. Let's let's get into our micro reviews. Um, first film we're going to talk about is Fighting with My Family. Yes. Um, directed and written by Stephen Merchant. Um, stars. Uh, oh, I hate how they do the starring cast for this particular movie on IMDb, but stars Florence Pugh. Um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's in it. I definitely does not star him. Lena Headey, uh, who's most famous for Game of Thrones. Vince Vaughn, Nick Frost, um, and then this this list. Uh, Jack Loden is the other big one. Um, I am a wrestling fan, and that needs to be put on front street. I grew up uh, idolizing like Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior as a kid. Like I had the the uh, wrestling buddy, like Ultimate Warrior guy. I used to um, w- that was back when wrestling was like on Sunday mornings too. So like you could wake up Sunday and watch Sunday morning wrestling. Sunday morning wrestling. Yeah. Um, before Monday Night Raw started, and like I, my friend and I would re- wrestle while we watch wrestling, like Jake Snake and every. I loved wrestling then. Then I got to grow up in the 90s when we got the Attitude Era and wrestling was redefined. Um, uh, to me, one of my most... When I look back at my life, a moment that I have a strong memory of is when WCW and WWE were, like, on the, at the same time, like, and Shane McMahon showed up on WCW. And, yeah. yeah, and that we, we learned that WCW had been bought by WWE. That was a huge thing for me because I grew up, you know, always WWE first, but always kind of, like, rooting for WCW, too, because... And there was a time when WCW was kind of the it was getting it was the better. Yeah, yeah, NWO man, they, the NWO was amazing. So I've and I've Vinnie been Mac said no chance in hell, and yep. he came and he took it. I've been a wrestling fan most of my life, and I even now as an adult, I go through phases. Um, right now, I haven't really been keeping up with it, but um, I go like every four or five years, I'll come back to it and really latch on, and then I'll fade away from it again. And um, it just someone has to grab me and, and make me want to be. Uh, committed to it because it is it's weekly and and now it's like there's pay-per-views it's easier to get the pay-per-views now than ever before thanks to wwe's online streaming service the network um but all that to say fighting with my family is currently my favorite movie of 2019 wow it is everything i wanted from it i'm calling it the wrestling fans rocky um it does to me what rocky does for boxing fans it did for me for this and that's only compounded because it's a female lead and how great and refreshing is that um florence Pugh is terrific as Paige. now this is based on a real person i i actually was watching wrestling when Paige made her debut um and and kind of took over the diva division in wwe and so um i will i saying that when I saw the trailers for this, I thought Paige was playing herself. It wasn't until this movie was almost over that I realized that it was not Paige playing Paige. And I was like, 
I one I realized quickly because I googled it. I realized that she looks almost nothing like Paige if you were to compare them like to each other. So that was my own fault for my memory just basically having a vague memory of what Paige looked like <laughs> that I was tricked to thinking it was her. But like I knew it was her story. Um, there's so much heart in this movie. It is hilarious. Like the Stephen Merchant script is perfect. Um, Nick Frost get some of my favorite moments. I am a huge Nick Frost. If you know me, I'm an Edgar Wright guy, and Nick Frost is an Edgar Wright guy, and um, he's perfect in this role as the the patriarch. Um, the love of wrestling is uh, is clear. Uh, Vince Vaughn is cast as the trainer for the de- developmental NXT league, and I was apprehensive about Vaughn because sometimes I love Vince Vaughn and other times I can't stand Vince Vaughn. This is a great casting, and he nails it. He is so good in this movie. Um, he gets a really great monologue at one point too that just works. And it, I'm I I'm gonna quote uh, David Bax from Battleship Pretension here. Um, he said that this movie's plot is very much kind of paint by the numbers. You can figure out what's going to happen beat by beat, especially if you've ever seen like an underdog type sports movie. But it doesn't matter, and I completely agree with that. Like, yes, I could, and I actually knew the story, so I literally knew where it was going to go, but this movie works in every freaking way. It's so enjoyable, and the thing that, like, I knew that a part of that was going to be my fandom of wrestling, but it has a 68 on Metascore, which is really positive for a movie like this. Like, it's a WWE Network-produced film about a WWE superstar, so guess what? It's praising this, like, world in a way that's probably not okay, yet it just freaking works. It has a 7.7 IMDb user rating, and I think that's also telling because it it has all of those components. It is a human story. Um, it does some really interesting things. I don't want to go into all the detail. I, I, had you seen this, this would have been in the four big movies. Obviously, I am... I'm in love with this film. I can't wait to own it. Um, I, I I think it's great in so many ways. And I do. I think Stephen Merchant is an underappreciated treasure, just in general, because like he's a great character actor. Like he's always some of the funniest parts in movies, and a lot of times he's just like the, the background guy. Like he just has the ones. Like in Hot Fuzz, he's the guy who's wanting the Swan to be found, and he has that moment where Nick Angel's interviewing him, and he's just like, it looks like a Swan. Like it's so straight faced and deadpan and it's just great um and i think he 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 gets comedy and it's really clear in the script he knows when to to hit the joke but while this is Paige's story um it also is her brother's story uh who played is played by jack loden or loudon um and i think they handle his story in a really relatable and compelling way also um he was in mary queen of scots and he was also in dunkirk um, although God knows which of the many faceless faces <laughs> in Dunkirk, but um, I I really liked him in this movie a lot, and I think that they work off each other really really well. Um, yeah, I I found this also to be super inspiring too. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to go into so much with this, but I really do love this movie. No, that's and why. I I also feel like a lot of people are gonna skip it because it's a wrestling movie, and wrestling has its place. But it, it is a niche kind of, it's a huge fan base, but it's also a niche fan base. Like, you know, people don't like to, n- most people are uncomfortable admitting being a fan of wrestling if you're over the age of 18. Because mm-hmm. there's like a stigma attached to it, right? Like, like you're a certain type of person if you like wrestling. And I, I've always looked at it as like, it's a live movie. How can you not like wrestling? Like, it's, you're watching people do stunts 
in front of you live they have to be able to act and also they have to be physically fit in, or at least to a degree i mean obviously there's been some big fat wrestlers but they're still more fit than most people are you know they're doing what wrestlers do and i've actually gone through a like one night training of a wrestling school that's awesome and i almost died like it was one of the hardest things i've ever <laughs> done in my life <laughs> no no it i definitely um my friend and i uh went to a wrestling school and we learned real quick that we were one extremely out of shape <laughs> two we grew up huge wrestling fans and and we know the moves we're those guys that like we can show you how to put a figure four lock on somebody you know what i mean but like that doesn't mean you're a wrestler you know and that's what we found out real real quick is that we were not equipped for it and they, they worked us like we could barely walk for like the next three days um and and yet well I, I never went back it's one of the coolest things I've, I've ever got to do and I got to stand in a wrestling ring I got to bounce off the ropes I learned how to fall I took a, a ch I took like 10 chest slaps which was the most painful thing um and you can't fake a chest slap you cannot fake it and that's a that's a see that's exactly right dude there's a myth that everything in wrestling is fake it's like some things aren't chest slaps are legit and they freaking hurt but um yeah like i've always had a place for wrestling even now like i'm not currently up on who's who's the champion and who's on what division i still have an appreciation for it that i will never walk away from and this movie just like I, I'm a fan. I love Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler, but that shows yeah, the yeah. dark side of wrestling, and the, and it's it's needed. I think it's a, an important movie. Um, but there is the other side of wrestling where the you're you because like yes, there are wrestlers who have their moment and then fade off, but then there are wrestlers that transcend that. Uh, the The Undertaker, that dude's career has been on an upswing. His from since 1991, I think he like his career has been a skyrocketed like masterclass of how to be a professional wrestler um look at stone cold steve austin and the rock both of them walked away from <laughs> wrestling and yet their careers are so heavily tied to it so this movie i think is is the counter to aronofsky's the wrestler um and it's it's more like the rocky it's yes wrestling is hard and there are there is you still get that underside because her family is the underside they've been struggling to make it um in the industry and she's the first one to really get the true opportunity so you see what it's like on the other side but you also see what it can be and i think that's an important like kind of double uh, a double standard the movie handles really really well that it's both it is it's a tough industry just like any entertainment industry but for those who get to get to that level it's something transcendent you know and i just Man, it just worked for me in every freaking step of the way. Um, and I'm really, really glad that it, it was that. Because it, it definitely, like, uh, there's a special place in my heart for Ready to Rumble. But that movie's <laughs> trash, right? It's 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 real bad. It's super stupid. But it's so much fun. Uh, this is more than that. And I think that this is the, the film wrestling fans have been waiting on. And the fact that it's a female wrestler... Um, is so important because I think a lot of times female wrestlers have been looked down upon by the, the fans. Um, it took a long time for the WWE to really establish a female division um, that was not just mocked or just looked at as a sexual thing. Um, and I think this movie does a lot for that too. And um, yeah, I man, Stephen Merchant and uh, The Rock gets a lot of credit here because while he's not a star in the film, he is a producer and he's one of the main reasons this movie got made. And so that I, I'm so grateful for that. I 
too used to like wrestling when I when I was growing up and uh, back in the back in the early nineties and then the mid nineties, um, and then also when the Attitude Era came in, Stone Cold and The Rock, and it basically revitalised and rebranded the whole operation. Everybody I knew was into that, and then I kind of trailed off it, but. Those times, man, I remember playing the games. I remember watching the every pay-per-view had the soundtracks. You know, they used to have the intro themes on CDs. Oh, I used yeah. to have all those. And me and my brother used to put wrestling moves on each other. And much to my parents' pure anger because we yes. always break each other's bones. But what attracted me to this film was Florence Pugh. Everything she's in, I flock to. I think she is a supremely talented actress. She's really Since good. I first saw in Lady Macbeth a couple of years ago which was my number two film of that year same year The Last Jedi came out uh, 2017 second best film of the year she that first of the film was sensational but secondly she is magnetic in this film she is outrageously good I almost yelped when I saw her pop up in the commuter she's one of the better parts of the Netflix film Outlaw King she's uh, she's leading the in the last few days we're getting the hype for Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary Midsummer. Ooh. She's leading that. She's nice. leading that film. She's appearing in Little Women at the end, at the beginning of next year, end of this year, with uh, Timothy Chalamet oh. and Saoirse Ronan. Greta oh, Gerwig I didn't know that. Film. Oh, yeah, I'm Greta... st- God, I was already in on that movie. This That just cemented Off it. Off the so... top of my head, you've got Greta Gerwig directing, you've got Florence Pugh, Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Meryl Streep, Bob Odenkirk, uh, oh Laura Dern's in it. I mean... Wow, yeah. She is going places, and she is fabulous. I really, really like her. And I'm so glad to hear that she kills it in this film. And, yeah, this is one of my most anticipated films of the year, and I can't wait to see it. I mean, I can't say much more, other than I'm so glad that you liked it, and you've put it at that high a pedestal, which now means I I must find a way to go and see it tomorrow, um, if I can do. Because my my intrigued, anticipated list is a mixed bag at the minute. Elisa Battle Angel, thumbs up. Happy Death Day. I did actually put that on there because I was intrigued to see how bad it was. <laughs> so I win that one. Serenity. God help the world. Oh, man. The Aftermath comes out, has come out in the United Kingdom. Looking forward to that. And then if Bill Street could talk, excellent. Right. Fighting with my family, hopefully good. So I'm just excited that you're excited for it because now I gen- generally we're on the same wavelength. We don't always agree, but we never bicker. But we don't always agree. Yep. And I thought you would like this film, but I'm glad you love this film because now it makes me yeah. even more excited to see it. Um, why don't you uh, take one of your uh, the movies you saw without me? So I don't because I just spoke for a long time. So <laughs> yeah, man, I'll uh, I'll rock on with uh, a film which got I think it premiered at Sundance this year. I had mm-hmm. a little bit of buzz around it. It's a Netflix film, a little one called Velvet Buzzsaw, and it brings brings back together uh, reunites. Sorry. Dan Gilroy and Jake Gyllenhaal from Nightcrawler. And Netflix movies, they have a stigma, still have a stigma, despite the fact that Roma was up for all these awards, they still carry a little thing, a little albatross around their neck. Even though so many of them have such good casts. And this is just, is another example. We've got Jake Gyllenhaal, Tony Collette, Rene Rousseau, John Malkovich, John's mate, and uh, David Diggs from the excellent Blind Spot and many, many other things. But great cast but it doesn't always mean it's a good film but Velvet Buzzsaw isn't a good film it's got a great premise I love the idea of it it's an, basically an unknown artist's paintings have been found in a deceased man's apartment and the greedy art struck folks who attempt to cash in on them find themselves on the receiving end of a supernatural entity that kind of possesses the artwork and is out for revenge which sounds like a goosebumps book but it really isn't um, <laughs> it 
just it's far too satirical for me to even enjoy it it was billed as like a horror type film there's minimal horror in it but when they are when the horror aspects are actually in Velvet Buzzsaw they're pretty damn good and they're the most interesting parts of the film but Jake Gyllenhaal's great he plays a guy called Morph Vanderwalt mm, he's excellent in this film uh, as probably should come as no surprise Rene Russo probably hasn't been quite as good as this in a long time John Malkovich is actually toned down in this film I thought wow from his usual, you know, 100 to 115% overall. David Diggs is horribly underused in this film. He's kind of thrown in as this kind of like token street rat type character, and he's in there for a few minutes. Um, there's a lady called Z- Z- Zowie, Zoe Ashton. Man, she is terrible. I really didn't like her. I've known a few people who thought she was quite good, but I thought she was horrendous. Her acting in this film was really not good she stood out like a sore thumb but um and they they all play these kind of artsy fartsy types uh in the film they are the kind of people who would quaff a starbucks the but not just a starbucks these are the the mocha chucka saw a skinny latitino warm the milk a little bit <laughs> sprinkle a bit of lima beans on type who who wear who wear like a mannequin display and they crave validation from everyone and I loved it when they got killed every scene. You know I mean, when there was a, a death scene, I thought, good, because I don't like your character. And I don't like how you carry yourself. I don't like how, what you wear. I don't like what you drink. And I don't like your behaviour, your attitude. But um, it don't know. It, oh, without going too much into it now, it is too satir- overly satirical. It's mad. What you can't say about the Buzzsaw is it, it, is it carries a lack of orig- originality. It's probably most, one of the most different films you're going to see this year and it's something that Netflix does very well it brings these kind of films to the fore which may not get a particularly uh, big theatrical release so Netflix I think is a breeding ground for some very interesting films and filmmakers to go a bit more out there but when they don't work it kind of looks a bit like Velvet Buzzsaw which is a pretty decent looking just mess I put in my review that it was nauseating at times It's and it really was it doesn't really hit any heights. Jake Gyllenhaal was excellent in it. He really is very good in it. But, yeah, people are going to... Like art itself, people are going to view this in different ways. They're going to get different appreciation levels. And they're going to find different things between the layers. But I just didn't like this film. And I, I thought it... The trailer... I remember I, I sent John a message and said how great this trailer... This trailer looked bonkers. It looked great. But, yeah, it's... I didn't yeah. like Verbal Buster, and from what I understand, there's a few other people who didn't as well. I have yet to watch it because everyone in my circles has have said how bad it is, and I was like, you know what? I just I just don't feel like sitting through it. It's um, not a it's not a vital watch for me. It's not something yeah. which I'd say, okay, it didn't work for me, but I still recommend watching it. It's, it's pretty much take it or leave it. I say. Well, um, so we'll we'll power through these the rest of these probably a little faster, um. But I, isn't it romantic? Is the next movie on my list uh, from 2019? Um, I am not a big Rebel Wilson fan. I've actually found her uh, her tendency to sound like she's just riffing um, most of her her scenes in like Pitch Perfect. It sounds like she's just being given carte blanche to say whatever she wants, and that seems to think I'm gonna say the most atrocious thing I can come up with and say it out loud and that's what's going to be funny and it normally is um yes and also uh, a lot of times i feel that way with melissa mccarthy too it's like they let her riff too long mm-hmm. and the joke isn't there but they don't cut it out 
Um, people think the same of Kate McKinnon as well, but I quite yes. enjoy her comedy. I a lot of times find her funny, but sometimes I do think they let her go too far. There's a couple of scenes in The Spy who uh, dump me where it's like, oh, God, this joke should have ended like two minutes ago. Like, <laughs> trim it off. Um, this movie is much more con- constrained, and I, I'm going to give credit to Todd Strauss Schulson, who directed uh, Isn't It Romantic? I actually liked Wilson a lot. I really loved Adam Devine, who I've liked a lot anyways. Um, I it should be noted I am a sucker for rom-coms this movie is one that claims that it's making fun of rom-coms but totally embraces the tropes of rom-coms while doing it so it's meta humor um, I I found it to be very entertaining um, I haven't seen um, there's another film like this um, I always forget you know, it was like they came together or something like that that I've never seen and I hear that's far superior, but I've not seen it. So this movie felt new to me, and I, it worked because of that. Um, I, I really, I, I found Rebel Wilson and Adam Devine to be very charming. Liam Hemsworth is very funny. Uh, Priyanka Chopra is great in this too, um, and Betty Gilpin, who is in uh, a show my wife really likes called Nurse Jackie, and she's in Glow. She's the uh, co-star to Allison Bree's character in Glow. Um, I've only seen season one of Glow, but again, big wrestling fan, so I really, really like Glow a lot. I just kept, my wife and I were kept putting out, like, we'll watch it together, we'll watch it together, and we never got to season two. So hmm. at some point, I'll finally watch season two. But isn't it romantic? Worked for me. I think if you're a fan of rom-coms, and I mean a fan of rom-coms, I think you will find a lot of fun in this film, um, unless you absolutely can't stand Rebel Wilson, which I liked her in Pitch Perfect, liked her less in Pitch Perfect 2, hate her so much in Pitch Perfect 3, and everything else I've seen her in, I pretty much don't like her. This movie worked, and I enjoyed her. So, that's... I've heard good things about this film. It came out this weekend in United Kingdom. I'm going to check it out this week. Not the biggest Rebel Wilson fan, but I've heard good things. She's also in a film coming up called The Hustle with Anne Hathaway, who uh, I love, so looking forward to that. That one, that, see, right away, there's two scenes in the trailer where I'm like, they let her riff too far. Like, no but one Anne stopped Hathaway. her. Uh, yeah, I, think I said that about Serenity. But then Anne Hathaway's British in that movie. Like she, she's forcing a British she accent. Looks like she should. She looks like and she looks and she like she should be British. And with a name like Anne Hathaway, she yeah. certainly sounds like she should. She could be from the uh, the one of her. She, I think she has got Irish or English descent, so that would make sense. There you go. All right, your go. Uh, what what's another one you saw that I haven't seen, Matt? Uh, I'm going to shout out and I'm going to quickly blast through a film called Vox Lux, another one which was on my anticipated list, more for, for the intrigue. It's uh, directed by Brady Corbett, who's 30, who's, which is sickening to me. <laughs> He's younger than me and he can produce this. Uh, stars Natalie Portman, Jude Law, uh, Rafi Cassidy, Willem Dafoe provides narration. Uh, it's about two teenage sisters, um, Celeste and uh, Ellie, who survive a school shooting in 1999. And they're then catapulted to stardom after a song they wrote about, the, about their experience goes, you know, nationwide. And Celeste, who is played by Natalie Portman, her, her career goes up as the singer. And uh, Ellie, she kind of stops. She her her career trajectory goes down because uh, she was writing the songs, and Celeste moves away. And it is more than just a musical kind of biopic. It's actually about. It looks a lot into the struggles of Celeste and how she dealt with the initial shooting, how her life's changed, what she's become years later, As because uh, obviously when she's younger, she's played by a younger actress, and then Natalie Portman enters stage about halfway through the film. It's as sardonic as anything. It has flashes of humour. 
it draws parallels to celebrity and terrorism, which sounds ridiculous, but really does work in the, in the context of the story. Natalie Portman's excellent. What a surprise. She's big and brash. She goes full New York in this. Um, <coughs> she looks a bit like a cyberpunk Padme Amidala from the prequels. She sings all <laughs> the songs as well, which is uh, oh. pretty interesting. Sia wrote them, but she sings them all. Well, there's a real fizz to how the movie looks, the camera techniques, the pulsing soundtrack, the kind of shiny metallic feel. The concert scenes look good. Um, but yeah, the opening was a real kick in the gut. It's raw. It's really brutal. It really actually caught me off guard. Where I, it really kind of felt like the wind had been taken out of me. And I don't often mm. get that during films, but I felt terrified watching it because it felt maybe a little too real, a little too close to the bone. But you know how they depicted this particular thing. It just felt too gen- authentic, and it was quite scary. Um, but yeah, the Celeste's story and how she goes from being this sweetheart to this person who's made all these mistakes in her life and all my and. You, to where she ends up it's so well done it's a slow burner for anyone out there it's not an immediate film it doesn't it doesn't crash by it's very much a slow burning film but I thankfully enjoyed Vox Luck Vox Lux quite an awful lot in fact it wasn't the best film I've ever seen it's not the best film this year and it's not going to be again not in my top 20 I don't think um, but 7.5 8 out of 10 had a good time with Vox Luck so if you haven't seen it if you get a chance to check it out like I did on digital, check it out. Yeah, I want to see that one once I get the opportunity. Um, next up, uh, this one will be super fast. I was forced to watch Norm of the North, Keys to the Kingdom, which is a straight-to-DVD sequel of the uh, similarly named Norm of the North uh, from a, a couple years ago. Uh, this movie sucks. Don't watch it. Don't waste your money. Don't just, <laughs> don't put your children in front of it. Um, it will only make them that. stupider. Um, there are plenty of better animated films. This one is an atrocity. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. There's a full review on another episode of uh, MovieCast where I talk with Big Tuna about it because he's the one who made me watch it. If you want to hear my full review, go there. But, um, all right, uh, since I went quickly with that one, I'll knock out one more real fast. Uh, What Men Want, um, I kind of went in expecting to dislike it. Um, I'm not a fan of the Mel Gibson, Helen Hunt version. I actually, I don't think I've ever made it all the way through. Um... But I gotta say, I, I liked Raji P. Henson anyways. Um, but the, the the comedic one, the one that really won me over in What Men Want was Josh Brenner, who if you watch Silicon Valley, you know him as Big Head. Um, on that show, he's terrific there. Um, and he's been in a bunch of stuff. He pops up in movies. He's usually like a, a side character, comic relief character, and oh, apparently he's in the front runner. Um, but he... Uh, hmm. he won me over so hard in this film i thought he was hilarious um i really really liked him there's a lot of uh great little moments in this film some of it's stupid for sure uh but um it overall worked i found it much more entertaining than i liked i, I would say the middle of the road overall um like i i gave it a decent watch rating on my site which is like three out of five or so um so but just entertaining because i i kind of went in expecting to just be rolling my eyes and just like, oh my god, this is so awful. But it wasn't that. It was just uh, enjoyable enough. So there you go. Interesting. That's one I've been sleeping on. It is out over here. I haven't been any, in any great rush to see it. I might yeah. probably check it out when it comes out on uh, VOD or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's a must-see kind of situation. But it's definitely, if you're looking for a, a, a solid comedy with some really funny scenes and some really dumb ones, it, it works uh, more than it doesn't. Well, I will potentially check it out one day then. 
Um, the last one I saw by myself, um, figuratively and literally as well, I did go by myself, was the front runner. Speaking of which, uh, Ivan Reitman's boy, Jason directs Hugh Jackman's very much front and centre as Gary Hart, the Democrat who was charging towards the White House in 88 before the media scandal brought him down in a puddle of shame. Uh, Hugh Jackman shows again his screen presence and charisma in a solid performance, and that's pretty much what I could, the best way to describe the front runner is it is a solid film. The writing solid, the direction, the score. Nothing's ever outstanding, but nothing's ever any nothing ever touches just average. It's all just very solid. Um, Vera from Eagle, J.K. Simmons, Alfred Molina are supporting characters, but they are just supporting characters. Not, not really given much to do. There's a good balance between the political posturing, the internal struggles of Gary Hart, and the newsroom chaos. I would have liked to see a bit more depth with the family side of it and how it impacted his wife, played by Vera from Farmiga, and daughter, played by uh, Caitlin Deaver. I would have liked to see a bit more than that. But, you know, for what is essentially a footnote in presidential history, this is that, you know, the front runner is a confident film which entertained me through it. I actually had a quite a good time with it. It's perfectly good. There are things I'd have loved, but. You know, and again, I put in my review, Hugh Jackman is just as handsome as ever and his hair is magnificent. But, you know, this is more of an intriguing film than it is vital. So I definitely recommend going to watch it. But if you don't catch it this year, then you're not going to miss out on a front runner for your <laughs> top awards, if you will. But I, I enjoyed this quite a bit. Which, here in the States, though, that would have been eligible for this Academy Awards, which it got no nominations. So, yeah, good call. It's not it's yeah. not a front runner um, here either. Um I missed that one though, and it's one I I do want to see. Um, all right, my last one that I saw without Matt uh, seeing it also is High Flying Bird, a Netflix original that uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Um, it's his second iPhone movie. This is all shot on iPhone eights, um, with of course other color grading and stuff going into it. So let's not undersell the look of it. Is not just going to be what you would get with your own iPhone, um, unless you have a, a crew of people working for you. Um, the script is written by Terrell Alvin McCraney, who uh, wrote Moonlight, um, and the script is one of the highlights. The, there is a lot of play-like uh, dialogue sequences in this film. Um, it's got a Soderbergh, Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky type of thing going on within itself. Uh, stars Andre Holland, though, who's also in Moonlight. He plays uh, Kevin in the third act in uh, Moonlight. Um, I love him. He is so great in this movie, and that's one of the main reasons this movie is amazing. That and Zazie Beetz, who shows up. Uh, Zazie Beetz has had a, a pretty big year. Uh, Deadpool 2, she was Domino, um, and she's on the TV series Atlanta, uh, written and directed by um, Childish Gambino and or Donald Glover. Um, she's great I think here. she's in The Irishman, isn't she, coming up? Or, 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 or something like that? She is in another big movie. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be cool. Or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's one of those films. Um, I'm looking... Oh, she's in The Joker. Um, the Joker, that's it, yeah. Yeah, which is Scorsese produced. So there you go. There's the Scorsese connection. Um, and then she's listed as the X-Force movie that supposedly is going to happen um, as Domino again. But uh, she's terrific in this as well. I... Uh, I uh, really 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 like this movie a whole lot um it does kyle mclaughlin is in it too by the way and i i don't know if you're uh i don't know if we've ever talked about david lynch but he is the you know twin peaks guy he's the detective um i like mclaughlin in most of the things he shows up in but high flying bird is uh basketball driven it's a, a andre holland plays an nba agent during a lockdown and him trying to manipulate the system the movie has a lot to say about professional sports and also 
um, the racism and the the kind of racial irony that rich white men get richer off the the backs of young black men who are you know talented young and fit um, and yes they make them rich too but you know in very controlling and uh, kind of awful ways at times you know because they don't the the movie just addresses some things in really cool ways it's um i found it super compelling i was hooked pretty much from the get-go the performances definitely make the movie but um i i'm i'm growing to be a soderbergh fan i I like more and more of his stuff the, the more i see it um so if you haven't checked it out i think it's one of the best netflix originals uh of recent release i definitely think it's the best netflix original so far this year um and that you know it, it's one that's been basically buried if you don't go looking for it it's not going to pop up on your feed anywhere um and that's a, a super shame because it's again it's look at all the craftsmanship behind the movie between the writer and the the director you've got two really big names that you're not hearing about this film and that's it's a, a absolute shame one of the things that drives me nuts with netflix is they they pick and choose the what they promote so hard um and they just you just things get lost in the shuffle and it's it sucks that that happens yeah, it's not one which has been uh, advertised or particularly marketed well over here on my Netflix. It hadn't popped up when I've gone to see it. And as for Soderbergh, I wasn't a fan of Unsane. Oh, I liked really? the I liked how it was directed on on using the technology, and I liked you know Claire Four was okay. Juno Temple was good. I liked Juno Temple, but I liked Logan Lucky from Liam Four. So, um, but I like Steven Soderbergh. I think he's I think he's a, an excellent director. And he's got. I like how he's pushing himself forward with these new films and new tech, embracing the new technology. So I'll always be a fan of. It. And I will. I will um, go to check that one out. It's a film which I've heard John say is very good. So looking yeah. forward to it. And uh, and I'll point the out next film. Oh, sorry. sorry go I was gonna say. I pointed. Uh, I found High Flying Bird thanks to Letterboxd. Um, it suddenly blew up my feed. Like a bunch of people were like posting that they watched it. And I'm like, what the crap is this? And um, uh, uh, upon speaking to um sean or big tuna because i was like hey have you uh have you heard of this movie and he's like yeah i'm gonna watch it tonight and i was like oh where'd you get a screener and he's like no it's on netflix i'm like what so i immediately watched it as well um because i was like well th- so if it wasn't for letterbox and following a bunch of film critics um i wouldn't have even known the movie existed so i got lucky on that one I need to get better in my usage of letterbox because I've I, I, it completely slipped me by and it wasn't I think it was John I think you actually mentioned it to me in a message that yeah. this film's coming out Soderbergh iPhone again check it out so so I will do but I say the last film we've got then we both saw uh, fresh fresh from putting his foot squarely in his mouth he obviously likes the taste of his own foot Liam Neeson stars in Cold Pursuits which is a film I thought was going to be just you know, Taken 3 in the snow, not Taken, but you know, get really yeah. even worse now, Taken 3 in the snow, turned out to be a bit different, it's 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 still Liam Neeson, it's still a one man wrecking machine, but what I liked about Cold Pursuit is it delved into the characters a bit more, we got a bit deeper with people, which I can't believe I'm saying it, the action, yeah, the action was good but it felt a bit it just felt a bit more I don't know what the word is, but uh, not mature, and then I think the film it, 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 it exceeded my expectations. Like it was, it, I thought it was going to be terrible. It didn't fall into movie tropes and conventions like similar films to this do, and it had like a kind of gross point blank feel to it at times. And I love mm. that film. Um, I do so, too. Yeah, I, I think Cold Pursuit was. It's not again. 
it is a surprise in in the fact that it doesn't follow the path I thought it was going to follow. Ends up being quite good because of it. If you want to see Liam Neeson go and kick people left, right, and centre, you're going to get that. But the film opens up with an Oscar Wilde quote, which should kind of put you on edge to start with. That it isn't going to be quite what you'd think. Uh, Laura Dern's in it. She's completely wasted. Yeah, she is. I, I surprisingly thought this was quite decent. Some of the humour was a bit out there and a bit dark, but. I quite enjoyed this bit long, maybe, but I quite enjoyed it. See that I also really in, I went in with no. I hated the commuter. I, that was last year, right? Um, thought commuter mm-hmm. was like not hate's probably a strong word. I was just like I don't get what everyone loves about these movies. Um, I I found it really boring. It got really ridiculous. Uh, this movie I kind of went in with that attitude. Turns out this is a dark comedy. It doesn't list that even on IMDb as a comedy. I think it's a comedy. Um, to me, it, it reminded me of In Bruges. Not as good. Not as good as In Bruges, but mm-hmm. it reminded me of that kind of tonally. Same thing with uh, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like that crime comedy where things happen that shouldn't be funny, but gosh darn it, it just is. And um, a big part of that is to this guy, Tom Bateman, who plays the main villain Viking. I, yeah, I was yeah. so into him as a character. I was just like, oh my god. Um, and he's only been in a couple other things that I've seen. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the remake, which... I don't remember him in that. I barely remember that movie, to be completely honest. Somehow, I do remember Snatched very much, and he plays kind of the guy who gets them in the bad predicament. That's the Amy Schumer, Meg Ryan. Nope, Goldie Hawn. Sorry. Goldie yeah. Hawn movie. Um, I always do that with Goldie Hawn and Meg Ryan for some reason. They just, in my brain, my mom liked both of them as a kid, and I just mixed them up all the time. But um, Tom Bateman was the surprise to me, because he, he just tripped me out so many times in this movie. Um, there's so many like little crazy moments. Uh, it's funny. It's super dark. Even the ending, which I won't get into specifically, but there's a, a death that happens towards the end that is so like if you're if you're still not sure if this is a comedy, this death will confirm for you that this is a comedy because <laughs> it's so absurd and like it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense that it's in the movie. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I I was I I'm so. I'm so pissed at Liam Neeson for opening his dumbass mouth. Like, like, yeah. why <laughs> he never needed to say that ever. It's like, and I definitely feel like he was maybe like his intent was not clear. Um, and I've heard people try to like explain it away and it's like, yeah, maybe, but he's, he's done this on like multiple occasions and he never, he just, Oh, it's such a, it's so mm-hmm. like, I've heard people say you shouldn't get um, vilified for thinking things. Well, he bloody he came out and said it, so there's yeah. a difference. You know, I think things, but I may not say them yeah. because I will get and vilified. To his point was that like he was so dumb, like revenge blinded him from who he really is. Like it's meant, it's not meant to be as racist as it sounds. Because again, I don't think he is a racist. I think he had a racist moment, and yet. The way he keeps talking about it, you're just like, shut up, just, like, yeah, just stop now. I mean, I guess if he was, if if it, if it had happened with anybody, I mean, would he? I'm sure he would have said the same about anybody. It yeah. just, you know, it's just, yeah, the way it came out was, uh, yeah, and unfortunate. he's he's had plenty of opportunities to try to correct the way he said it, and I don't think he's done a good job at doing that. And it's <laughs> it it puts a a dark stain on this film that I. You know, and this is a remake of a Swedish film, and it's the same director. Yes. Norwegian um, film, yeah, yeah. Norwegian, In I'm sorry. In Order of Disappearance, I think it, it was called, yeah. Hans Petter Molland. Yeah, and so 
that's a cool little detail too that you don't usually get the remake the american remake with the same director um and so i don't know i i definitely don't think this movie's for everybody but it it worked for my kind of dark comedic sensibilities and i had i had a much better time at the film at this film than i expected to it's a surprise more than anything else i mean yeah I'm not going to say my surprise is in the fact that it was so good. I came back and my eyes were hurting. It was so good. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It was, yep. wasn't quite the contrived rubbish I thought it was going to be. But yeah, I do want to point out, In Bruges is way better. Like In Bruges is like, amazing. Gross Point Blank, for that matter as well, is yes. way better. Um, uh, but then again, In Bruges or Gross Point Blank, don't make me think about that. I'll be here all night. But I mean, that's yeah. February. February, February, February. Before that's we it. wrap up completely, this for me felt a bit ooh, a bit unbalanced what did you think about february in the whole i mean i am so re- ready to be out of february for like personal reasons because i've been sick twice this month um i've missed more work than i normally miss because of that this month like so in movies yeah i completely agree um a lot of the ones that i expected to really be like oh this is so great i felt was lackluster um alita and fighting with my family are definitely the highlights for me um, and there's been a couple other mini highlights, but um, fighting with my family is by far my biggest highlight because again, I expected to like it, but I had no hope that I would love it because I just didn't. I don't. I didn't know if a wrestling movie would ever get treated with the way this one is treated. And I do 100%. I want to give Stephen Merchant all the credit. I think he took a true story and found a way to tell it in a compelling, heartwarming, inspiring, and uh, comedic way that just freaking works. So that maybe saves the mo- the month for me just because I, I really do think I have found a film that I will return to time and time again. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, I'm lucky. I think we're lucky if we can find maybe one or two movies a year that speak to us that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so w- the fact that I got that out of this month is going to save it a little bit. But overall, yeah, this month, I'm so looking forward to the summer movies. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> yeah. let's get there. I mean, I'm just thinking in my head now. I enjoyed the films, but there's not one... I haven't seen Fighting My Family. There's the big asterisk caveat. There's not one film in this month which I thought was excellent or was really, really good. I thought Alita was really... I thought that was a lot a lot better than I ever thought it was going to be, but it still had a lot of flaws. Yeah. So I did enjoy it. How to Train Your Dragon, enjoyed it. Still had flaws, of course. Uh, Happy Death Day, bleh. The Lego Movie was okay. I mean, I liked Vox Lux. Velvet Buzzer was pap. The Front Runner was solid, excellent. But I, I, I can't think of unless fighting with my family. I hopefully I watch that and think the same as you. Yeah, me too. Then this is going to be a write-off for me this month. Not because the films were awful. Cause I've just listed a few I did enjoy, but the majority of it was just meh. Yeah. And what I find interesting is that come the end of the year, there is there is obviously a chance that fighting with my family will still be in your top five or ten considering that this month could be one of the worst of the year yeah yeah so it's, it's i find that helpful. interesting um well that is that then for this february episode of the bloody awesome movie podcast it's been a pleasure and great fun as always john so before we clock off where can the world find you online uh you can find me at burkereviews.com and on social media at burkereviews uh, you can find me at what i watch tonight.co.uk again across all the socials at what i watch tonight you can find my stable of podcasts. You can find John's anywhere in the world where there are podcasts. We are on there. So every episode of The Bamp, check it out. Just search for us. Find it. If you like it, subscribe and leave us a review. We love nothing more than speaking to fellow movie fans. And if you like what we do, 
we appreciate it even more. So thank you for the support and thank you for your listens. Feel free to hit us up or leave a comment. But until then, thank you once again from me. It's see ya. And from John, keep watching movies. Stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody. <laughs>